It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona, with you today on what is looking like a very dull and grey and I think rain. Is there rain outside this morning? Is that what I'm looking at at the window? Uh, not the greatest of days this morning, but um, hopefully you'll get a chance to make yourself a cup of tea, put the feet up and have a listen to our show this morning because we have lots of very interesting topics coming up on the show today. Have you tried the 369 manifestation method and has it been successful? Will we be looking at this method that's taking social media by storm and I'd love to hear from you if you have tried it. Um, do you feel like you're completely burnt out and does the summer increase your feeling of burnout as you try to balance children, work and socialising? We'll be looking at that later on. Again, if you want to let us know how you're feeling about burnout or overworked, we'd love to hear from you here on the show. And how do you feel about QR codes replacing physical menus in restaurants and salons? You know, you often see them now on the corner of tables and you go in and instead of getting the physical menu you have to scan the QR code with your phone and it'll bring up the menu on your phone but you know is it alienating a lot of people um, I know I like the physical um, aspect of having a menu to look over um, but you know it seems to be something that uh, society is moving towards and we will be speaking to a lady later on who is not very happy about that either. Um, if you want to get in touch with anything that we're talking about on the show this morning, the number to call is 0818 96 96 96. And the text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And of course, you can get in touch via email, opinion at 96fm.ie. 
UAE. I just heard in the news there as well, and it's something that um, would be of interest to a lot of people, I'd say, today. It's um, hoped that an increase in taxi fares will help entice drivers to work busy weekends and busy evenings as well. I mean, we all know we've been out in Cork City over the weekends and we know that on certain nights, Friday and Saturday nights in particular, it can be really, really difficult to get a taxi because we just don't have enough of them. Um, and a survey carried out by the National Transport Authority found that 93% of drivers were working, but less than 30% were undertaking shifts at night time. And it's hoped now that the fare structure may encourage taxis to cover more unsociable hours. The cost of cab journeys is set to rise by 12% on average from September 1st. So if you are a taxi driver out there and you'd like to tell us um what you feel about this or if you're uh, a person who uses taxis regularly would you would you welcome the increase in the taxi fares let us know 0818 96 96 96 now yesterday we were speaking to senator jerry Bottomer about the chaos at dublin airport as as flights as flight capacity increases after covid and uh, during the call, uh, we, we spoke about trying to spread the number of flights between the airports. So rather than having a huge number of flights going out of Dublin, which is not able for the capacity at the minute, maybe spread some of the load with Cork Airport. And joining me now to talk about this is Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association, Pat Dawson. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Fiona. Pat, the airport chaos at Dublin Airport, do you believe that by having um, some of those flights moved to somewhere like Cork Airport, it could help alleviate some of the problems that they're experiencing? It, it could, but as we said, the board had flown in the sense, you know, I don't think at this stage uh, of the game that you can shift flights now that are that people are already booked on out of Cork or Shannon or Knock or anywhere else. So mm. I think that that that's 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 over with as such. But but certainly, and I, I mean, every time I I, I I come on about Cork Airport, I think I, I see from articles in the newspapers that that uh, that I'm getting on about. I mean, Cork Airport, um, my my big my big thing about the capacity. Uh, and it's always been the case that, you know, that 85% of, of, of flights are out of Dublin. Mm. And uh, we have three airports uh, dotted around the country. And uh, pandemic or no pandemic, it's a, it's totally imbalanced. And that now airlines, you know, they're uh, commercial be- uh, people. And I mean, to say the airlines dictate the pace. Yes, mm. they do. But there are great incentives uh, uh, and in Cork Airport for, for, for airlines to use the airport. And I mean, the biggest problem, I suppose Cork face, uh, you know, that Aringas, uh, you know, reduced their their um, their capacity and their, and their aircraft by seven short haul mm. aircraft, and Cork lost two, and and Shannon lost two, and and Dublin obviously lost three. Now, in in the bigger scheme of things, the smaller airports, uh, you know, they lost out there. Now Cork have have, I mean, they're going to go up to forty two routes, and it's incredible. But I, I, I and, and and great work done as such. Yeah. But I I think there's more to be done and you know uh, I, I, I'm I, I'm only here from a point of view of of the public and uh, you know I've travelled out to Dublin so many times and we all know it's a pain in the head and, and very expensive and I remember you know somebody in Dublin Airport saying that Cork to Dublin was only two and a half hour spin mm-hmm. well I can tell you Cork to Dublin Airport is far more than two and a half hour spin and you have to take on the M50 or whatever else yeah. you go by train and you have the expense of that so I mean children as well Pat you know you don't want to be stuck in the car with them for two and a half hours then at the airport for another two and a half hours before you even get on the plane 
So, yeah, and never mind coming home. I mean, never mind coming home and landing in Dublin. So, I mean, I'm I'm very positive and praiseworthy of Cork Airport, mm. but I think the DA are, are the big daddy here, and and certainly you know I don't know how the dynamics of it works, uh, who dictates what, but certainly you know um, it would be great to have more routes for all sorts of reasons. And, and Cork Airport have done a, a, a wonderful job throughout this pandemic, and um, we have a, a, a new runway now, and therefore that will help capacity. Uh, by and large and, and certainly uh, we as travel agents around the country and particularly around uh, Munster have always and will always support capacity out of the Munster region. And I think you know listeners to this show as well have been very complimentary of Cork Airport over the last couple of months well they always are but especially over the last couple of months because it is um, a much easier airport to fly from but um, the uh, DA has come out and said that it's the airlines themselves that decide where they want to fly from and when that the airline alone makes these commercial decisions concerning their route network and they do so based on purely economic factors and they're saying that it's got nothing really to do with the DAA but you're saying that they could make it more um, commercially appealing for airlines to, to fly out of Cork. Well, I mean, what, I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, the, you know, airlines, like, they'll follow the money. And, and 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 that's that's for sure. And and the follow routes. I mean, I think I route to Timbuktu or the Cork would sell at the moment. You know, yeah. I mean, at this at this at this point in time. But 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 certainly, you know, the incentives. Uh, I mean, I I had a meeting with Cork Airport many months ago, and, and I I spoke with the GM and the marketing team. I mean, the incentives that airlines get uh, is is fantastic. Mm. And and maybe maybe you know maybe don't give Dublin. Uh, Dublin Airport don't give the incentives and as I said and, and you spread the love and give more financial aid and more money to Cork to, to entice those uh, airlines to increase capacity as, as such but as I said you know the, the dropping of two Aer Lingus aircraft that would be 14 or 16 routes and we have lost many routes we have gained routes as well and that's the, I think that was the, the biggest factor in, in this situation and that mm. but look at uh, 2023 is certainly going to be Better the winter hopefully will 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 stay steady and that, uh, and it's it's all to do with the public using Cork Airport and and supporting it and and, and certainly we as an organisation have and always will support the airport. The incentives are very important for economies of scale, like what we have here in Ireland, where you know you have the capital in Dublin and then you have the regions. No, they are, and and I mean, I mean, uh, airlines, airlines will, will follow them. It won't be the only decision, uh, but 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 certainly, they're, 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 if, if you base an, an aircraft uh, in 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 an in an airport, I, I I can remember, I think it's two or three hundred thousand you get for doing it. Yeah. You know, so from that point of view, now it's small money, I suppose, in in the bigger picture. But certainly, uh, it, it certainly, I I would say, look at let's 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 uh, have the balance and let's let's give Cork more. Fun financial aid to, to to get airlines to use it more and 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 that would help them out because they can't be competing with uh, with Dublin and if this big daddy is in Dublin I mean you know they're the boss up there and I don't know what the dynamics are on the decision making but certainly you know um, I'm very positive about the airport and, and hopefully you know the reason for for uh, you know talking about it is 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 to get more capacity and certainly not to criticise anybody Yeah because like as you said that there have been an increase in routes um, from Cork this year and they're up now to 42 and they, they were at their peak before the pandemic of 52 so they're not far off that at the minute um, so you know um, what Cork Airport are doing is great but we need to have 
have more. I mean, like, what is it? Dublin Airport has 300 flights a day. Now, I know it's a much bigger airport than Cork, but Cork, when you compare like 42 flights to 300 flights, it's it kind of, there's a massive imbalance there, really. There is, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, the, there's a huge programme out to, out to the United States, as you know, out of Dublin. There's, there's at least 14 routes with Aer Lingus and all the other carriers there, uh, United and American Airlines and Delta. And, of course, Shannon Airport have, have, have routes as well. And, I mean, you know, I've, I, I've behind the scenes, I was trying to t- talk to airlines, maybe a regional airline, to do, uh, you know, to do a connect with Cork, Dublin, and do a fare from Cork to, uh, via Dublin, with the one fare to... San Francisco and to all those American routes and and, and that and uh, you know I don't think there's a will to do that or whatever else so people mm. going to the States well, they'll probably go out over you know over Heathrow or whatever else out, out of Cork and that but but certainly you know uh, this thing of, 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 of driving the Dublin or by train is not practical economically or otherwise and, and certainly you know uh, if we had the connectivity I know this is going on it's a sort of a, a, a thing that's going on about Cork Dublin flights uh, and certainly you know we had them there and you know uh, airlines were on that route and uh, other airlines got in and ran them out of the route and then stopped themselves uh, so that connectivity would be great for people to convince people to to be able to book a fare from Cork to San Francisco uh, via Dublin with the connectivity and the one airfare uh, and I've been asking about that for many many years it hasn't happened but maybe it will if the mm-hmm. economics are right and it's something again to, to look at it's it's all about convenience. It's all about the public, you know, and making traveling a, a, a good experience. And 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 certainly, uh, from Cork Airport, um, under the condition now, it's been a fantastic experience, which I've used on several occasions. Pat, just speaking of tourism and travel, um, the the taxi fares um are going to be increasing by twelve percent from September first, and it's hoped that the increase in fares will entice drivers to work busy weekend evenings. What do you make of that? Do you think it's a good idea? I, I, I do, yeah. And <clears throat> I know many taxi drivers and certainly I think it's a good idea. You know, uh, I, I think there's something with, with uh, I'm not an expert in this field, but that, that a car over 10 years uh, has to be given up. I remember having a tax uh, conversation with a taxi driver in Dublin mm. and he, he was at an age, retiring age, and he said, Look, at, I, I'm not going to get into debt to buy buy a new car, and I'm retiring. And I think a lot of a lot of people have older the older age group uh, have 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 retired. But but certainly, you know, um, uh, we, we need taxis on, on on the road, and we be it for business and, and and weekend pleasure and for safety. And I, I certainly think uh, I don't I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, we we know the cost of motoring, we know the cost of fuel or whatever else, and and certainly if we can get more people and, and maybe younger people out there to, to, to be taxi people well uh, well and good uh, it's good for uh, the city and it's good for the public it sure is Ta- thanks very much for that that's Pat Dawson Chief Executive of the Irish Travel Agents Association um, what about you guys do you agree with the fare increase for taxis do you think that it will help to entice drivers to work busy weekends let us know also if you've had a, a good experience of flying through Cork Airport and you believe that uh, more flights should be transferred from Dublin to Cork let us know 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Neave has been in 
such to say my experience of Dublin Airport was two cancelled flights, three days loss of holiday, a taxi to knock, an overnight in Stansted and eventual reaching of destination. Obviously many lost hours in the airport and online trying to sort out issues. Then on return found a filthy airport, dirty toilets but no luggage unless I felt like helping myself to someone else's bags or golf clubs. 12 days on, no contact, no bags. Uh, that's absolutely terrible, Neve. I mean, like the whole point of going on an airport or on a, a holiday is to get away from the stress of our daily lives and this is not something that anybody wants to experience when they're going on a holiday. I hope you get your bags back. It's just so frustrating, I can imagine. And Kate is saying the people of Cork should vote with their feet and refuse to go to Dublin. My friend has already missed two days of her holiday due to cancelled flights in Dublin. Yeah, Kate, I mean, I always... well anytime I am travelling which hasn't been a lot lately but if I am trying, going to be flying anywhere I do try to fly out of Cork because I don't want the hassle of going to Dublin but sometimes in some cases people have to go if they're flying to maybe meet up with family or friends or if they're travelling on for work purposes and they may have to go from Dublin um, because the flight option is not available from Cork so that's what we would love to see we would love to see I know that Cork Airport are doing a great job at increasing the number of flights that they have but um, I think what Pat Dawson was saying there that um, you know there needs to be more incentives um, and the, the DAA needs to uh, get the finger out and get more flights to, to Cork um, to help alleviate the problems that they're experiencing in Dublin. Now we were also speaking over the last couple of weeks about the Bus Connects plans and we've had a few people on the air who have had uh, concerns about the plan and the routes that have been proposed. Some of the routes um, look like they're going to be taking out some of the wildlife and, and green areas of Cork such as the Mangala Woods and up in Holly Hill they were tearing down 52 trees but they would be replacing them and other people have been raising concerns about the uh, roots going through their gardens and very close to their houses and noise <coughs> excuse me, creating noise pollution and air pollution. But Dr Frank Crowley is an economics um, uh, expert at UCC and he says that we need to look at the bigger picture and while he isn't in favour of uh, tearing down green spaces in Cork he says it is something that is badly needed in Cork and we need to look at the bigger picture Dr Frank Crowley we have had a lot of people on the show both politicians and um, you know general public who have raised concerns around the whole Bus Connects proposal and their concerns mainly focus on the fact that a lot of the routes seem to be going through green areas particularly the Mangala in Douglas um, and that a lot of trees will be torn down um, you know we, we were speaking to somebody on the show who was concerned about 52 to 63 trees in the Holly Hill area that were being torn down and people who are saying that their gardens are going to be um, disrupted as well. But you're saying that the Bus Connects is actually going to be a game changer for Cork if it goes ahead. Yeah, I, I, I believe it is. I suppose, you know, as an economist, I'm thinking about it from a regional development perspective. And um, I suppose if you're thinking about what are, what, what are the main things that Cork needs, um, over the next 20, 30, 50 years, you know, we seriously need significant increases in public transport and improvements in public transport um, and, and, and really significant increases in funding. Mm. And that's what Bus Connects represents. Um, and I think this is a call that everybody's been talking about locally uh, in the Cork region for a long, long time. You know, that public transport isn't fit for purpose mm. um, and that we need significant investment. And here it is. That's what Bus Connects is about. 
Because I suppose we do have a population that, uh, you know, a lot of people travel into the city in particular for work and we are trying to reduce the number of cars on our roads and people have had complaints about the bus service in the past and about public transport being uh, not up to standard. But um, this would seem to be aimed at alleviating all of those concerns and all of those problems that have been experienced by people. Yeah, well, you know, that is, that. I suppose that, that's the significant benefit of this proposal, you know, is that it's trying to tackle, I suppose, the car dependency that the, the city region has. At the moment, you know, three out of four people travel uh, to work by car um, in, in the Cork region. And really, that is very much a, an unsustainable path. Even if we transfer uh, the fleet, say, to electric cars, it is still extremely unsus- unsustainable. You know, if we look and stop the clock now and just look at Cork, it's extremely congested. Mm. Um, like electric cars doesn't solve that problem. You know, we still have the space problem. Um, you know, it, we get lost productivity in terms of lost hours traveling to and from work, uh, and that won't be improved. Um, and we're supposed to, in 2040, increase our population in the Cork City region by 50%. Mm. Now, a lot of those jobs are going to be in core areas. Um, we're going to have to increase our population density. Um, and that means there's going to be more traffic on the road. So it really is kind of a space problem um, in, in a nutshell. Um, so and if so that's we why don't... we need to make this transition to public transport anyway. Yeah, so like if we don't get this Bus Connects Cork plan up and running soon, uh, by 2040 when we're expected to have this massive population growth, um, you know, if we don't have the proper bus network in place, then the roads that are already congested are going to be uh, even, you know, worse than what they are now is what you're saying. Oh yeah, they're going to be, you know, under increased pressure. Um, we're going to get our, our commutes to work, to school, everywhere is going to be uh, tougher. Mm. Uh, it's going to take an awful lot more time. Um, and I suppose, you know, that's what Bus Connects and, and, and even the cycle lane provisions and active uh, walking um, within, uh, you know, increase in footpaths, etc. Within the scheme, it's designed to get people to do more walking, to do more cycling and to use public transport. Um and, and unfortunately, I suppose, you know, if we think about the changes that are needed, small changes won't do. Um, it is a radical overhaul. And that's what I suppose, you know, when we go back to thinking about, I suppose, the, the significant change that's happening in an awful lot of communities and the uprooting, say, of trees and, mm. um, and, 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 and natural uh, areas that people really, really enjoy. Like, I can, I can understand the, the, the Mangala um you know, argument. It mm. is a lovely space. I can see why people in Douglas are very fond of it. Um, I suppose, you know, this is the initial plan from Bus Connects. This is the first time we've actually got a good vision of, or a good idea of what their vision is. Um, and, you know, now it's out to consultation process. This is the time for people to feed in. It's to tell them really, you know, what are the points that are unacceptable to us as a community? You know, um, mm. what alternatives can we have? Um, can we have an alternative route um, that they're proposing there, for instance. Because um, it doesn't make sense, really, you know, listening to the people who've been talking on this show over the last two weeks and who are genuinely concerned about the impact that it's going to have on wildlife and green spaces. You know, it, a plan that's supposed to be making Cork more sustainable going forward into the future seems to be taking out a lot of the green spaces and we have very little green spaces as it is. So it doesn't kind of make sense on that front. 
Well, look, you, you, you're preaching to the converted here. Look, I, I, you know, I, I very much have highlighted in the past that we need more uh, enhanced green space mm. within Cork City. Um, there's no doubt about that. We've been underinvesting in that aspect of things as well. Um, you know, I suppose, I suppose if you if you look at the overall picture of bus connects, um, the extent of it in terms of kilometres of of new bus lanes, cycle lanes, um, you know, it, it's vast. And if this is one of the small issues of it, I think then, you know, we can overcome this. Um, and it, it is about local feeding and, and local knowledge about, you know, this is unacceptable to us. Um, and I, I, I'm sure the NTA are open to to to, to reviewing it and, and considering alternatives. Like I think a lot of people's concerns, though, Frank, is that um, the plan is now in place. People have been working on this plan. You know, qualified engineers have been working on this plan for quite some time. And now that it's come into the public domain and they are inviting submissions from the public, people are afraid that, um, you know, the concerns that they're raising won't be taken on board. Like we were talking to Don up in the north side and he said that they're talking about removing up to 60 trees, but they will be replanted. But he's afraid that they won't be replanted then. Well, you know, we're into uncertain process then, and I think that's where local government comes in. You know, they have to hold the NTA accountable and 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 make sure that they keep pressing um, the pressure points really around mm. those issues. Um, like that's that's their responsibility, as far as I would be concerned, is that the promises that have been given um, to make this plan happen that they are actually delivered. By the NTA, you know, yeah. and like there has to be substantial regreening happening. There has to be substantial planting happening to replace what is what has been taken out. To, you know, um, that has to happen. Um, so, do and, you think that it, the city council needs to be doing that? Then, you know, that uh, if you're given this plan, the go ahead, and the NTA are working on it. And do you think that um, the city council should now be focusing on a plan to enhance green spaces and, and increasing green spaces, um, as well as working on this bus route? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, this is just one scheme. Like, there has to be. A, a, a greening of the city scheme as well, you know. Mm. Um, absolutely, there has to be regeneration, replanting going on all the time. Uh, re- thinking about how we can repurpose space within the city region towards more green areas. Mm. Um, you know, I suppose enhancing that aspect of the city. Um, that should be happening anyway, right? Irrespective of, of bus connects. Um, you know, so absolutely, they, they, they are strategies that, 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 that local councils should be doing anyway. But look, I think, you know, if we think about it um, within the city region, I think there's a consensus, the public consensus, that there should be improvements, mm. significant improvements in public transport. I think if you, on the whole, if you look at local councillors, um, that they would, there's also a consensus there. Obviously, there's some people that mightn't agree, right? But there's, there, I don't think they're a majority, right? So, like, how, we have to kind of work with the NTA, I think, yeah. right, and find out, you know, what are the best, what's the best path forward? What is reasonable? Um, how can we achieve what we want to achieve without damaging the things that, that, that we really love here in Cork? And maybe mm. that is uh, Mangler Woods, for instance. What about, Frank, um, there have been people on this show as well who've raised concerns around noise and air pollution with the road running so close to their homes. What would you say to them? But we, we already have the roads. They're already in existence. Mm. Um, what we're trying to do is substitute that actually to, you know, we're going to have electrification of, of, of the bus fleet. 
um, you know, we're going to have more people cycling, hopefully, um, and more people engaging in, in, in walking to work and, and to school and, and those types of activities. Mm. So I, I think, you know, a substantial part of these new routes will actually be quieter, um, you'd hope. Mm. Like that, that, that's the vision. Um, and it's, it's actually, you know, to get people to actually transition over to more sustainable uh, ways of getting to work and, uh, and getting to places around the city. I think that that element of it has kind of been lost in the whole argument because I think people are focusing so much on, on the bus corridors that they're forgetting that there is that element, as you say, of um, cycle lanes and, and walkways that will encourage more people to walk and cycle because we don't hear an awful lot about that element of it. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's one of the big, um, I suppose, objectives of the plan, you know, is, mm. is, is to increase cycling provision and walking provision within the city. Um, and that they all go hand in hand, you know, that the bus travel goes in hand in hand with cycling mm. um, and with walking. So, like, I suppose when you see these um, drawings, I suppose, you, you see so many lanes and all you're doing is thinking about them being full. Mm. But, like... A full cycle lane is a lot more attractive than a full car lane, um, and let's let's face it, the the, the bus lanes won't be full all the time. Mm. Um, you know, that's the, the idea is that they won't be full, um, that they'll have a dedicated route, that that they'll you know that they're going to be more efficient, um, that they know that they can get to their destination on time, um, that they won't be clogged up in traffic, and and you know that the public aren't giving out about delays. To, my bus is twenty minutes late. Like, that's not. Well, it's not supposed to happen under this new plan. Yeah. Um, and that's the reason why there's dedicated bus lanes there, to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, and But, you know, there won't be buses um, clogged up in these lanes uh, all, all day long. That's, that, that's the idea of it. So that, you know, these a lot of the time that these spaces actually might turn out to be a bit more attractive and definitely more attractive if they can get people to transition out of their car over to, over to these more sustainable means of getting around, you know? Yeah. Indeed. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank Foley from UCC. Thanks for um, bringing that to our attention and, and putting a different perspective on uh, the story that we've been covering over the last couple of weeks on the show here. OK, thank you very much, Fiona. I don't know. What do you think, listeners? I mean, we've had a lot of people on the show here um, on the opinion line over the last two weeks who've been very upset by the plans, and rightly so. The They fear that their gardens are going to be taken away and that this bus corridor is going to be going through their gardens and that, you know, that the, the bus corridors are going to destroy the Mangala over in Douglas and a lot of the trees up in Holly Hill. And, you know, um, from listening to Frank there, do we need to be looking at the bigger picture? I mean, nobody's uh, arguing against the fact that we do need a better bus system in Cork but like at what expense I don't know it's um, you know I I don't I I do feel for the people who are losing their gardens and for the people who are losing their uh, public amenities let us know what you think 0818 96 96 96 96 and have you got a new smartphone or tablet then grab the must have app so you can take us everywhere download the Cork's 96FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go and if you have a smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice, streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on our phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96fm.ie.
E. Now, um, as I said at the start of the show, um, a lot of the menus, physical menus in restaurants and salons are being replaced by QR codes. And Rachel, Sarah Murphy, I know you're annoyed by that and I am going to come to that in a few minutes. But you were also talking about the fact that You know, Jane Fonda, the actress, says that exercise is her number one beauty secret, but she admits to having cosmetic surgeries over the years. And you're sick and tired of women feeling pressure to look young. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. I am. am. It does annoy me now. I'm hitting 50 soon, so I'm getting to the place where I just don't care. But it's a dreadful... It's this dreadful demand put on women, and not just women anymore, it's now men also, to Mm. stay young. It's the word youthful. It's somehow that that makes her extra beautiful, you know, but it's okay to grow old naturally because it's a natural process. But, But this insane pressure on women to stay young, which is impossible unless you want to put things in and cut things off and and do all of that. It's impossible and and it just makes the woman feel um, a bit like the the generation, my mother's generation, going in and doing a QR code. just makes them feel sort of unimportant and not beautiful. And it's just a really negative energy that we put around ageing, especially with women who are targeted, 90% of women, undergo cosmetic surgery mm. so I just think it's I just think it's enough you know there's always been pressure on women to be thin uh, you know to stay young especially in the acting business that I used to be in but now it's it's, it's it's come over the border now it's everywhere you know everybody thinks we have to stay young to stay beautiful yeah I was actually speaking I'm in my early 40s but I was speaking to some of my friends at the weekend and one of them we were talking about fillers and Botox and one of my friends was saying that she was at a gathering there recently and she was the only one who hadn't had any sort of fillers or Botox in her face and these were all women in their early 40s. Yeah, well we've seen, I mean I'm sure Love Island, I don't have the channel but I'm sure Love Island, all of those girls that they call a preventative Botox, I mean it's Mm. just a load of codswobble and you're putting, now I've done Botox, Fiona, I've had it, you know, and I put Mm. it in and, and I sort of what, what happened with me I was I'm very into expressing myself my face I quite like my face so I couldn't move my eyebrows and I just I just I felt I looked angry when I tried to express myself so yeah. it wasn't for me but I don't judge any woman for whatever they want to do it's it's their body yeah but I do feel and it's their body their choice but I don't feel it is a choice, Fiona. I think it's because of the intense pressure that the media and social media, I'm mm. sure we've all scrolled down our phones where we're told that this is the way that we should look. But it's impossible sometimes at a certain age unless you're willing to, you know, nip and tuck and cut and all the rest. Do you think that some actresses now are really conscious of that and they're trying to turn public perception on ageing? I mean, like, I was reading an article there with Andy McDowell the other day and she's embracing her grey hair and Emma Thompson has come out and said, you know, that she um, is refusing to, to look young um, and she's just embracing her age and I know Courtney Cox has spoken in the past of the amount of surgeries that she got and that she has actually stopped now and she's trying to grow old gracefully. So do you think that they're trying to to break that tide now? I think they are and I think we need to go the way the French are going you know and to embrace age and it is beautiful and women are beautiful and men no matter what age they are Mm. it's not always about being youthful Emma Thompson is being phenomenal when it comes to voicing her opinion on how to, to stop this dreadful pressure that we're putting on women and, and to look young and youthful all the time and to celebrate them whatever age they are. So she's doing wonderful work. But so are a lot of other actors, but it's still very much there, Fiona. 
It is, it is. And as you said, with social media and, you know, we have all oh, the filters yeah. and, um, you know, certain yeah. lights or whatever. And like, you know, you don't mind that because people want to look their best, especially if you're putting up a selfie on social media. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Field. Yeah. I mean, we all want to put our best foot forward. You know, as somebody said when I put up about, and, and this is not about Jane Fonda. I've met Jane because her son and I studied together in New York mm. and she's a, a beautiful woman. She's always been into fitness. She's a fantastic advocate. But but this I don't like. She obviously looks like she's had fillers, etc. It's it's blatantly obvious, and she's been very honest about it. Mm. But it promotes the wrong message to women that to to be beautiful because the 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 heading was Jane Fonda, eighty four, cuts an incredibly youthful figure, but she's not young, mm-hmm. and she couldn't look like this unless she was unless she felt that intense pressure to pump things into her and cut things off and, and do all of this instead of just, I mean, she, she was going to be beautiful anyway, you know, and we are losing generations of beauties at the moment because cosmetic surgery are ruining them. You see, like you said, Fiona, see girls in their twenties, thirties doing this Mm -hmm. and ruining, you know, going over the top, trying to reach perfection and perfection doesn't exist. Everybody is unique and authentic and that needs to be celebrated. It certainly does. And, you know, a lot of the lines on our face are a reflection of the life we've had. And somebody had said to me, but that's a laughter line. So it makes you look like you've <laughs> had a lot of laughter in your life. I had my C-section and I have my scar, you know, yeah. and you get a little pocket sort of, you know, your, your tummy goes over your scar a little bit. And some people don't think it's attractive, but it reminds me of the happiest day of my life. Yeah. And, you know, my boobs, sometimes I have to lift them up now <laughs> because, you know, they've decided they've had enough. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. <laughs> and sometimes I might wave to somebody and, you know, it's, my arms are flapping in the wind. But that's OK because the elasticity of my skin will start to decrease. But I can slow down um, aging because mm-hmm. none of us want to get there too fast. And I can slow it down, but I can slow it down naturally with healthy eating, with exercise. Um, Jane Fonda actually attributes her youthful looks to great sex. So, you know, <laughs> there's lots that we can do yeah. to to keep our... And also just being with our friends, you know, and laughing. So there's a lot that we can do um, to to grow old naturally. And But like I said, your body, your choice. Yeah. So I'm not... I'm not saying to women, don't do this. What I'm saying is, make it your choice. Don't don't make it because the marketing people yeah. at some pharma are are targeting you and trying to make you insecure because you are beautiful just as you are, but just as nature intended. You and, are beautiful. And so, Rachel, yeah. um, I, I'm gonna I'm actually stuck for time now this morning, but just really really quickly, just the QR codes. You were saying that you don't um, oh, gosh, agree with stressful. this in, in place totally. of a physical menu. Totally. I was waiting for my daughter yesterday. I won't say where. And I said, could I look at the menu to check out the facials and the massages and all the rest of it in yeah. Dreamland that I would have time to do it. But she said, oh, yeah, just uh, scan the QR code. And I said, no, no, I'm going to sit down. I said, I'll just read it. And she said, oh, no, we don't have a physical one. So I said, so my mother's generation are just being ignored. Mm. They're not important enough for you to photocopy. So it's a whole generation that we're giving the bird to and saying, well, you know what? You, you can't read the menu now, so somebody would have to do it for you. And you can't go to have a facial yeah. because you don't know. It's just gone beyond a joke. And I think it's dreadful to my mother's generation, you know, who have paid their way the whole. We're just ignoring them and saying you're not important enough.
Brilliant. Rachel, Sarah, Murphy, thank you so much for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. Listeners, what do you think? Are you in favour of the QR codes instead of a physical menu? And do you think that people, women and men, are under too much pressure from the media in particular to stay looking young? Let us know. 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. A new survey by daftmortgages.ie has found that house hunters have €27,000 less spending power than a year ago. And joining me now to talk about this is Paul Monaghan from Daft Mortgages. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Fiona. Paul, 27,000 less spending than a year ago. I mean, that's absolutely phenomenal amount of money. It, it really is. Um, and I think it's important to understand, you know, what's driving that in particular. So yeah. the spending power or how much someone can spend on their future home is made up of two parts. It's how much they borrow uh, in their mortgage plus their, their savings and their or, or deposit. And in particular, um, what's bringing down the overall spending power that our house hunters can spend in the future is that the house hunters today have less savings than um, the house hunters who were looking a year ago. And is that because they're spending more money on rent and just the cost of living going up? Um, that's that's probably a factor. Um, there's, there's another factor as well, which is during the during the pandemic, um, house prices went up, you know, even more than they had been going up in previous years. Mm. And what that a, a big factor in that was that you know, obviously people, you know, people who were buying at the time weren't going out, couldn't go on holidays, things like that, and yeah. were saving more. And they were they were putting those savings towards their their home purchase. Whereas the house hunters, you know, today compared to the ones a year ago, haven't been in lockdown recently. Haven't uh, um um. That hasn't been a factor as much. So that, that's 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 what's going on. You say that single first-time buyers and homeowners and home movers have reduced their expectations for the amount they will spend on a home. But you know, we, we often hear, especially here in the city in Cork, that you know house prices are going up and up. And if people's expectations um, are not meeting that, like, where does that leave people then? Um, so, so I mean, it's absolutely very challenging um mm. for any home buyers and and um you know I, you know i see that with our own customers and um you, you know you know we do absolutely do our best to help them yeah. um I, I i guess in what you're saying that there's there's different things there's different trends maybe in the different groups so you mentioned single first time buyers maybe as and i could contrast those with coupled first time buyers and yeah. um you know what a single first time buyer would sometimes see you know if if their house prices are going up and they might, you know, reduce their expectations a little bit. So, um, you know, plan to buy an apartment that's slightly further out or, or a little bit cheaper or something like mm. that. That's it's different. A couple of first time buyers. What we see is that they um they also have a little bit less savings. The house hunters today, the first time buyer couples today than the ones a year ago. And um, but they're planning to borrow more to fill the gap. So this they're still maybe aiming for you know their upsize to a three bed house, for example. Yeah, like it says here in the in the survey that their plan is to borrow 6% more on their mortgages to make up the difference. And this will result in a €59 euro increase in their monthly mortgage repayments, making their repayments go from, say, like 872 to 931 per month. Um, first yeah. time buyer couples will spend an extra €700 euro on their mortgage repayments per year. And like for anybody buying a house, that's obviously um, a scary prospect, isn't it? It, it it is um it is a scary prospect well but i i really don't want to you know, um uh scare people mm. um i i think um um you know i think we can just all control we can control and try our best and and to those people i'd say that 
you know, if if so, if you might be borrowing more because house prices are going up, the the importance of shopping around to get the the cheapest interest rate that you possibly can is even more important if you're borrowing more. And and um, to that, I'd say, you know, there's um, get good advice. So there's many mortgage brokers in, in, in Cork City, for example, or go, go to that mortgages or, or in any mortgage broker in the country. And mm. they have access to, um, you know, around seven lenders usually, including lenders that have cheaper interest rates that a customer can't go to themselves. So by going to an advisor, they're getting they're getting the best advice from a broker. They're yeah. getting access to cheaper rates and, and someone who can talk them through what, you know, how much they borrow means for their monthly payments. Yeah, because um, some people might think that their bank uh, told them that their mortgage, that this is your mortgage and that this is your, your income, but like they can um, get different rates if they shop around. Um, that's right. Different rates if you shop around, just like you said. And there's, there's a second factor as well, which is um, different lenders lend um, um, you know different amounts to, to to people depending on their circumstances. So mm. you know you, you said there, you know their bank might have told them, hey, this is your mortgage. Um, this you know they they went to their own bank and they told them, hey, this is your mortgage. This is how much you know we'll give you. Mm. Um, but if they wanted to know their options again, and, and in particular, if there's someone with variable income, like a, a tradesperson with self-employed income or a salesperson earning commission, you know, the kind of the kind of income that's in the same every, every month, mm. um, different lenders in particular look and, and, and count that income differently. Um, and, and a, you know, a mortgage broker knows those policies of all of those lenders, so um, can, can match the customer you know, depending on their, you know, particular circumstances to the best lender for them to get the um, the right amount for them and the best interest rate. So if anybody is kind of feeling a little bit lost and they don't really know where to go, you're saying that they could go to any broker like Daft Mortgages and you guys would be able to help them then with policies. Well, well, I mean, customers don't have to think about what the what the policies are mm. um, of the lenders. They just need to explain or, you know, or, 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 or put in online what their information is and then and then you know we or 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 any 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 advisor or any broker um yeah. that, that they might find online or elsewhere it's a recommendation um will help them um and explain everything to them you know once the customer tells them their own circumstances yeah and paul do you reckon that we've hit a peak now with the with the mortgage with the house prices are we can we see like this kind of tapering off a bit now I, I don't have a crystal ball, um, unfortunately. And you know, if if, if I did, uh, who knows? But um, you know, there's <laughs> many. Rich, there's, Paul. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wish um, there's there's many factors that feed in. So you know, we can see this information about our customers, but then at the same time, you know, supply is obviously a big factor as well. Mm. Um, or you know, the government's new shared equity scheme is coming to the market where they give more money to first-time buyers buying new homes, and that'll have an effect on the market. So it's 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 you know it's it's impossible to know. But of course, you know, um, we'll be looking at how our customers are getting on, looking at our own data, and I'll be following it very closely. Brilliant, Paul. Thank you so much for bringing us up to speed with all of that. That's Paul Monaghan of Daft Mortgages. And if you are one of those people who have been trying to save for a mortgage but are finding it really tough, you can let us know on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six or oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. I was speaking um, a few minutes ago to Rachel Sarah Murphy about Jane Fonda and um, and the aging process. And Joe, the hairdresser, says I think fillers and 
and Botox can make you look fresher. Everyone wants to look good and feel confident and that they do. And I think, you know, uh, Rachel was saying it's your body, your choice. She's not against them, but she was just saying that um, it makes her angry to think that a lot of people feel the pressure to, to look good, that they need to have fillers and Botox to, in order to make them feel good and that they don't feel that they can look good just by looking natural, Joe. But definitely, um, I don't think she was saying that she's against the fillers and Botox and if anybody needs a little help here and there, sure, you know, that's their choice. <laughs> With the regard to Bus Connects, John O'Donovan has been in touch to say, people power like the water meters. The people who are going to be affected need to tell City Hall they are not going to let it happen. And I think that a lot of people have gone to their public representatives and a lot of public representatives have been speaking out about the problems that a lot of people have with this plan um, but yeah we just have to wait and see there are public information events happening today and um, I think that the the date for submissions has been extended so people who are uh, concerned about it can get their, their opinion into the NTA and we will see what happens with that 96fm.ie the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Earlier on this morning, I was speaking to Dr. Frank Crowley of UCC, who was saying that the Bus Connects plan should be looked at in the wider picture. He was saying that it was it's going to be a good thing for Cork because it's going to increase the amount of um, buses that we have in Cork and make the buses more accessible. And you know, um, he said that you know when the population increases, it'll take more cars off the roads. And um, but uh, Anne has been in touch to say. You can tell that Bus Connects won't be affecting him. I'm so upset with tears in my eyes. We will lose 10 metres of our garden and mature trees. They take a lifetime to grow. The people in the buses will be able to shake our hands in our bedroom. They will be that close. Our privacy will be gone. And that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. And, you know, we've had other people on the show as well, Anne, who have spoken about how this um, plan, that they're feared that it's going to be going through their gardens and that it's going to be right up beside their houses and when you guys were buying your house I'm sure you weren't expecting to have um, a bus corridor running right through your your garden Um, and you know it's you know I mean like if you've been there all your life you know developing your garden and the trees have come to maturity I can understand why you would be so upset. Um, Anybody else who is affected by that let us know 0818 96 96 96 Now we are just believe it or not, a month away from back to school and for many kids uh, going from primary school to secondary school is a massive leap and for some people um, it can be very panic inducing as well for parents and for kids but as parents what can we do to make that transition as easy as possible for our children. And joining me now is Eileen Keane Healy or Haley, Eileen Keane Haley of jumpstartyourconfidence.com. Good morning Eileen. Hi, good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Eileen, it can be a very uh, worrying time for a lot of children because they have the security of being in primary school with their, you know, friends for so long. And then all of a sudden they're going to this big school, much bigger, loads of teachers, uh, loads of new kids. And, you know, for some, it can be very a very nervous time. So for parents then, what would be the one thing that you would advise parents to do? Would it be to talk to their children? 
Well, communication obviously is always going to be number one. I think for parents too to remember what it was like for them, because a lot of it hasn't really changed. I suppose the big issues that I come across when I'm working with first and second years would be uh, friendship issues. They get stressed about being organised, about having a timetable, about homework. Mm. Um, So friendship is a big thing. And I suppose in my own experience as well, you know, one thing I'd say to parents is when the kids are going in, try and encourage them to talk to everybody not as many people as they can, not to jump into the first group that comes their way because very often that doesn't work out. And when the kids have issues with friends or, you know, I suppose with social media now as well, there can be a bit of nastiness around dropping them out of groups and Mm. WhatsApp groups and whatever. So when this happens, don't undermine it or underestimate it. It is a huge thing for the child. Like there is probably nothing more important than friendships at this age. So all they want to do is to feel that they belong to a group. Mm. But, you know, I suppose trying to give them a little bit of security as well. Like if I'm working with fifth or sixth years and ask them, when do they make their really strong friendships in school? 99% will say from third year on. So it's explaining Mm. to the kids, you're not supposed to have your buddies all sorted out in the first three months. Do you know where they think they do? I know, and in secondary school then, you know, they're developing their personalities and their interests and they might meet kids who are interested in the same things in secondary school that may not have been there when they were in primary school. Oh, 100%. And I think the other part of that too, which is similar to what you're saying is, you know, try and encourage them not to judge people. You know, not because so-and-so says, oh, you can't be hanging out with her or him or don't be talking to them. Don't take on everyone else's opinion until you get to know the kids. Don't judge people. Give everybody a chance because the people that you feel you mightn't be friends with could end up being your best friends in two years' time. Mm -hmm. And that happens so often. Um, But I think as well for parents not to be saying, did you talk to someone today? Did you meet someone today? Do you want to have someone over? Because I I did that, to be honest, and I actually it was the worst thing I could have done because... Mm -hmm the kids then have to kind of come up and they're feeling embarrassed and they're feeling isolated and they don't need to be repeating that during the day. When the kids are ready to have friends over, you'll know about it. So should but you ask them about, your friend, about their friends at all or should you just wait for them to come and well, talk to I you about it? If I'd, I'd kind of say, look, you know I'm here, but have the conversation that the friendship thing doesn't very often happen until later on. You know that you just kind of have more, as many acquaintances as you can and when you get to know people better, you'll understand who is right for you and who isn't. Mm. Because when you jump into a group so quickly, a lot of the kids don't know each other. In primary, they spent years probably getting to know kids and and then they figured out who was right for them and who wasn't. And, no, you know, a lot of them will go in and they'll make friends and the friendships will go different ways. Or the other side of it, Fiona, I suppose, is when they go in with other kids from their primary school that they presume are going to stay best friends, Mm. that doesn't often happen either so it's kind of preparing them I suppose a little bit now there's loads of kids will get on fine so let's not dramatise it completely for poor parents and kids out there (laughs) there's loads of kids will be fine but it is really important that they do understand they can't be hanging on tight to that one or two friendships that they had in primary because as you say they will grow their interests may change their priorities may Mm. change and those friendships might just outgrow each other and if we have the conversation to explaining that that's a very natural process and it happens everybody at some point. And Eileen, I suppose when they're in sixth class in primary school, they'll have had the same teacher for the whole year, just as they would have in every year in primary school. And now they're going into secondary school and they're going to have a different teacher for each subject. And, you know, there's the fear amongst some kids that they may not like some of the teachers or they may not get on with some of the teachers. 
And they probably won't, but your look isn't that life. <laughs> and I suppose at least they only have them for one subject. So I'd be putting a positive spin on that one. You know, you mm. like, yes, some teachers you might get on with, others you might. That's, again, a very normal process. And also reminding them teachers are human beings. They might have a bad day. They might come into the school in the morning, not in the best of form, which is totally understandable. Yeah. So not to take it also personally either. But the fact that they have them for different subjects. You know, I mean, some kids really struggle in primary because they have a teacher they don't get on with, but they have that teacher all day, every day. So that's never going to happen again. So that's yeah. a kind of, in my view, that's kind of a positive, you know, they, that the teacher moves and switches and they have a variety of people and personalities are different. So obviously they're not going to get on with everybody, probably. Mm. But again, having that positive conversation isn't a great, you know, if you don't really get on with someone, she only have them for an hour a day or 45 minutes or whatever it will be. And then you move on to the next teacher. And I sure it's a great parent, life you know, lesson, isn't it, for what's ahead? Because <laughs> we don't always is. get on I'm with like, everyone. If we don't, no, and they have to learn that. And there's mm. an awful lot they're going to be learning, but we can't smooth it out for them. I suppose in primary school, we have full control. We organise the play dates. We know who they're with. We know where they are. That has That is going to change. And I think from a parent point of view too, let the kids give, you know, we have to kind of let that string go a little bit. Yeah. Just let go just that little bit. Because if the kids think that we're not, a, that they're not able because we're so nervous, then how are they going to feel able, you know? So I think some parents too, like who might have had a bad experience in school, don't presume the same's going to happen to the child because it mightn't. And speaking and of, letting, comes, of cutting the strings and letting them go, I suppose part of it as well is letting them organise their own stuff because I suppose when they're in primary school, parents will probably do all of the getting lunches ready, getting uniforms ready. But you think it's a better yeah. idea when they get to secondary school to let them do all that themselves? Oh, well, it's like, uh, it's essential. Mm. I mean, I guess for the first couple of weeks that the parents might want to help out and make sure they're not forgetting ABC, whatever. But I mean, my advice to parents is, you know, get the kids into a routine that you want to continue. So when they finish their homework at the end of the day, let, you know, go through initially, let the parents go through the timetable with them, help them just to figure out what they need the next day. And that means PE gear, activity gear, as well as books and homework. But then they've got to do it themselves because if we keep doing it for them, how are they ever going to be resilient and learn how to fend for themselves? And with the lunches, Fiona, that's kind of become, unfortunately, that can be a big deal. Mm. I'd often say, you know, if they have a good breakfast and they have a good dinner, none of our kids are going to starve. Right. Don't <laughs> get too carried away on what they're having. They can become really conscious about certain smelly foods or noisy foods or someone has braces or whatever it may be. Mm. Let them tell you what they're comfortable eating in school. Otherwise, it's going to end up in the bin anyway. Yeah, because I remember even when but, I was in school and I love butter and one of my friends didn't yeah. like butter and I remember her slagging me off one day about uh, having butter on my sandwiches and then I was refusing to eat my sandwiches after that and um, I had to, I was just like, all of a sudden I didn't like butter either, you know, and it was just, this yeah. is the kind of stuff that goes on, you know. And, and it does go on and it's going on more than ever. Mm. Honestly, like I've, I work with so many kids who will not eat in school at all. Mm. You know, and we don't want that to happen. So isn't it better that they eat one or two things, even if it's only one or two snacks that they're comfortable eating rather than us saying, well, where's your lunchbox? Did you finish your lunch? You're not eating enough. Why aren't you eating this? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be fine. But the most important thing, I think, is that we know they're comfortable, you know, that they're confident in what they're bringing in and not pushing it. It's not it's not the end of mm -hmm. the world if they have a small lunch in the middle of the day in school really they're coming home to a good dinner they've probably had a good breakfast yeah. you know if you feel um, and when we're not getting into people with issues that's a different thing entirely mm. I'm just saying the everyday thing 
you don't want your kids in a situation where people are going, oh my God, look, that's the one who brings in the smelly sandwiches. So yeah. that's the one who makes so much noise eating whatever. And it and is it's frustrating awful. because like, I know that, um, you know, you make the lunches for them and then you see the lunch coming back in the lunchbox and you do lose the head a bit because it's like, oh my God, well, I just well, wasted my time and wasted this food and you're not eating it. Why not? And, you know, as you exactly. said, <laughs> not let them di- decide. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, let them decide, have that conversation, you know, and maybe after the first month, if they're struggling in any way in that way, just sit mm-hmm. down and say, look, what are you comfortable eating? What do you want to bring to school? Have a good breakfast and a good dinner and bring whatever you're comfortable with for your lunch. And speaking, Eileen, of, um, you know, um, teenagers who might say something to somebody because of the smelly sandwich or whatever, what about personal hygiene? Yeah, and I mean, this is important, really, because, again, there is a nastiness out there. And it can be really cruel. And I just feel at this stage, when they go into school and say they pee or they have other activities going on, we really need to make sure that their pee gear is clean, that they're showering, that they're washing. Because if a kid is sweating and their body isn't clean, then that's when they're going to probably smell more. Mm. If they're going in and they're showered and then they have, they're sweating with the gear or whatever, then it's probably going to be fine. Maybe some kids sweat more than others, hormonally, whatever might be going on. Have a small little, you know, those tiny little travel deodorants in the bag, maybe a mm. packet of wipes. You know, just have that stuff in a tiny little pencil case thing at the end of their bag. So they're comfortable. But I do think that conversation is really important. Mm. Absolutely. That they're aware how, you know, that it is important that they're starting their day clean, really. And I know that might sound very basic now when mm. people were saying, honest to God, do you think we're going to send them in dirty? But it's, it's not that. It's just they're, they want to be independent. We have to give it to them, but we also have to give them the tools and we have to put the idea in their head because for people who do suffer a little bit with BO or whatever it might be, a lot of the time they don't smell it themselves and that's yeah. half the issue. Yeah. So it is like, so it's, not, just it's, not, it's a difficult conversation to have with anybody, but if you're a parent, um, it is a very important conversation to have with your child. Well, it's much easier for your child to have it with you than yeah. it is to have it with a head a teacher or someone else in the classroom who's giving you grief. You know, it's just one of those things we need to do. Absolutely. And Eileen, if um, if somebody is worried about the amount of homework that they're going to be getting in secondary school, what would you say to them? Oh, I'd say, please don't worry. First off, they don't give them a load of homework. Mm. If they just stay on top of the subjects. So, so like, say, I'd always say, get your homework done on the night you've had the subject. So if they have maybe French on a Monday and that again until the Wednesday, get it done on the Monday, because otherwise that's when it can build up and they get stressed and they've forgotten it or whatever. Mm. But the, to be fair to the schools, they really don't overload it at all. Yeah. If they keep up to date, they'll be absolutely fine. And at the end of the day, Fiona, really like the pressure that can be put on at home and at school is gone off the wall. You know, if our kids are happy and healthy and they have a couple of friends and they're getting on okay, just take a breath and relax a bit because if they're get, they could be getting all their homework done and be doing, getting all their A's but they might be miserable Yeah. so we have to kind of be aware I don't think there's a parent out there who their number one priority isn't that their kids are happy Yeah. so just be careful where you're putting the emphasis on what you're focusing on because at the end of the day they do not need pressure from home they put it on themselves anyway regardless a lot of them will and don't expect them to, and parents don't expect them to be, you know, sitting for two hours doing their homework and first year. They don't need to be doing that. Hmm. They Sorry. spend however many hours all day in school. You know, there yeah. needs to be a balance. 
Eileen, I suppose um, the big thing really is to not let the little issues become a, a, a big issue really and to, you know, prepare them now by having those conversations with them and going about it then, you know, slowly but surely <laughs> through exactly. the transition and they'll get there. They will get there and I suppose, Fiona, one other thing is like, I suppose sometimes kids and parents, you know, we can clash and we can argue and the one person that they are going to take their frustrations out mm. on is most probably their mum. Like yeah. one of mine when she went into secondary came home and I was like, oh my God, what's after going on here? Who is this child? But to be fair to her, it was another friend of mine said to me, you know, this is the only safe place she has at the moment. That's it. So if she's stressed or upset or whatever. All I'm saying to parents is take a breath. It's not about you. She was feeling like that before she ever, or he, before mm-hmm. they ever got home. But this is their safe place. So try not to react. And when they do come in, and if they do come in upset or whatever, and they start talking to you, just keep your mouth shut until they finish talking. Eileen. Because they'll most often, send, yeah. you know, they'll get over it themselves. But we have to just learn that listening without throwing in our advice every second, second, every second minute, because we end up a bit like a broken record. <laughs> we do. Eileen, that's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. That's Eileen Keane Haley, who's director of jumpstartyourconfidence.com and author of The Parent. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. More of you reacting to the interview I did with Dr. Frank Crowley about the Bus Connects plans where he was saying that we need to be looking at the bigger picture and how it's going to improve the services across Cork. And Rita has been in touch to say, I went to the Bus Connects information evening. From what I saw, 90 to 95% of residents parking in St. Luke's, Summerhill and Wellington Road would be removed. St. Luke's is like a little village. That feeling would be gone if the parking goes. You can't have visitors. Should you go out at night, you wouldn't have anywhere to park once home. That is very true Rita and it is. It's a gorgeous area up at St. Luke's and um, particularly in the evening time when everybody is walking around and up having a few drinks sitting outside and um, you know, as you say, like people need to get up um, to, to these areas and visit friends and they need to have the parking in the area and if that's taken out it's definitely going to have an impact on that area. Keep your comments coming in to us 086 810 0818 96 96 96 or 086 oh, eight, Sorry, I forgot the number 086. Where is it? Here we go. 083 396 96 96. Excuse me for that. We've also got a statement from Cork Airport just about um, their progress and I will bring you that uh, later on. But speaking of uh, flying and, and going foreign travels this year um, after the pandemic. One thing that um, is noticeable by complete pest control is the return of dreaded bedbugs. Trevor Hayden, you're inundated with calls from people about bedbugs. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. Trevor, during COVID, there was no talk of bedbugs because nobody was flying anywhere, but now you're seeing a massive increase in calls. Yeah, so what bed bugs are is they're hitchhikers. So if you travel abroad and you stay somewhere and that that premises or wherever you're staying has bed bugs, they could potentially get back into your bags or your clothing and come home with you, which is not the souvenir you want to bring home. It's not. And how do we know if we have bed bugs, Trevor? Oh, yeah. So when people talk to us about bed bugs all the time, they think of these tiny little microscopic uh, insects that, you know, little mites that live in your bed. Absolutely not the case. These guys are around the size of an apple pip and it will be like jumping into bed with a mosquito. You will be absolutely covered in bites. 
And how do we get rid of them then if we know that we have them? Yeah, to, to be honest, a lot of stuff we do, we, we, you know, we give as much advice as we do treatments. So people ring us with advice on ants and stuff like that. And, and a lot of people can deal with stuff like that. Bed bugs, you really need a professional. They, mm. They're one of the most difficult things that we deal with. Um, it usually involves either a heat treatment or a spray treatment or a combination of both. Um, but they can be very, very difficult to get rid of, especially if you've gone kind of unnoticed. People don't immediately think when they see a mark, it's bed bugs. They put it down to, I was out walking last night or changing washing powder and it's just mm. a mark and it takes time for people to realise that actually it's, it's a bed bug bite. So like just washing the sheets and washing your mattress isn't enough? No. No, so bed bugs live in and around the bed. They're, they're lazy. They don't like to travel far to their meal. So we have found them inside of alarm clocks beside the bed, in the bedside locker, under the skirting board. So in and around the actual bed, what attracts them to you is your body heat. And when you breathe out, that's like the signal for them to come out of where they're hiding mm. and they come and they feed on you. Um, so when a bed bug bites you, what they have is they have like a hypodermic needle. And they inject you with their saliva, which is an anticoagulant and an anesthetic. So you don't feel anything. Um, they take their fill and then they head off then to, to rest. And it's not till the anesthetic wears off that you start to itch and, and hurt. And, you know, if you have bed bugs yourself, then like, um, how do you get rid Like, is there a way of getting rid of them off your, your, your skin then? Oh, yeah, they won't stay on your skin. They're not, okay. not going to detach themselves. So the they skin. just they'll bite come, you then. Okay. And they run. Yeah, yeah, they head off then and hide. So so they don't attach themselves to you. Um, they'll come, they'll feed. It takes a few minutes and then they'll go back to, to their hiding spot. Okay, so they're not like ticks or anything like that. They just stay in no. the bed. Just... And Trevor, are you getting all the calls? Like, are people ringing you because they have them in their home? Or is it like B&Bs and hotels that are, are calling you? It's people in their homes. So people have, like, for COVID, it more or less stopped. Mm. because people weren't traveling. Um, but bedbugs are, are, are what they do. You kind of have to appreciate what they do. What they do, they're really, really good at. And they can survive for months and months and months without feeding at all. So they're quite happy if there's no meal available. They'll just hunker down and kind of go into a kind of a hibernation state mm. uh, until a meal comes along. So this is the reason why they were able to survive for that long over, over COVID. Um, people are now jumping on planes, going away, coming back and, and bringing them with them, unfortunately. Okay, yeah, it's not um, it's not a very pleasant thought, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Do you know what? I, I'm doing this a long time and it's the one thing that still makes me itch. We do all sorts of pest control, but bed bugs is still the one thing. It's, it's crazy. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what it is? I, I think it's because your bed is, is your safety. You know, this mm. is where you go to relax, to chill out and to thoughts of something being in it. It's just, I'd rather a rat running around my house, to be honest with you, than, oh, a, than a bed bug. So. <laughs> yeah, like I went travelling before and I remember like going to different hostels and stuff and I had um, a line uh, down my back of kind of bites and somebody had said to me there were bed bugs and like that I just thought oh my god uh, skin is crawling here (laughs) every every time I go away with my wife it's the first thing she makes me do check the room check the room make sure there's nothing in the room because she hears all the horror stories when we come home and we're you know we're telling her what's going on during the day so if somebody is going to a hotel and they're overseas and they are checking the room what do they need to check for Mm. 
So there's three distinctive things. One, two are easier than the last one. So bed bugs themselves. So if you imagine an apple pip, that's kind of teardrop shape, almost the same color as well. So that's a that's a physical bed bug. Then you're looking for droppings and casings. So droppings are like you got a black ballpoint pen and made loads of dots. Hmm. Um, and casings are these guys shed their skin. So like a, the way a lizard or a snake would. So you see these small little goldy colored, uh, really light if you were to pick them up. They almost, you know, they barely fall like a leaf. Um, they're really, really light, goldy colored casings. Hmm. And then the last one is eggs. But to be honest, you're not going to see the eggs. They are so, so small. And um, you really, really need to know. And the headboard, up around the headboard, bedside lockers, that tends to be the favorite spot. You can get them on the bottom of the bed. Yeah. Um, like we've, we've done some horrible jobs where they're in the curtains, they're in the TV in the room, you know, just really, really bad. And you can feel sorry for people because it, it's not an indication of a place being dirty or clean. Bed bug doesn't care. Yeah. They just want a blood meal. That's it. Brilliant. Trevor, you do a great job in fairness to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. That's Trevor Hayden of Complete Pest Control. We hear a lot of people say they feel burnt out, but how do we know we're burnt out and not just overworked? Or are they the same thing? And is there a different types? Is there different types of burnout? Keelan O'Dwyer is a behavioural psychologist from Ireland's trusted online therapy, Fettle.ie. Good morning, Keelan. Morning, how are you? I'm very well. Keelan, what does burnout mean to you as a professional? Is it always a physical thing, for example? No, it's burnout is a form of exhaustion that goes beyond the physical symptomology. So burnout can occur when our lives become too busy and we find we're juggling too many roles and responsibilities. And when that happens, we often forget to step back and take a rest. Mm. So over time, it has effects on our emotional, physical and mental well-being as well. And in many cases, burnout is related to one's job. There's other forms of burnout as well, such as parental burnout and Mm. seasonal burnout. And the main difference between being burnt out and overworked is we can have times in our lives where we're overly busy at work. Say, for Mm. example, you're trying to hit your quarterly sales target. So you're working late and you're trying hard to get those numbers up. You can be overworked, but still be feeling quite optimistic about your role. You may feel a sense of accomplishment when you're getting closer and closer to reaching your target. And Mm. even though your energy is waning a little, you can still bounce back by having a rest over the weekend. But With burnout, however, there's three hallmark symptoms that we need to be aware of. So the first is exhaustion, Mm. exhaustion, depersonalization and reduced personal accomplishment. So firstly, exhaustion. We all have days in work where our energy ebbs and flows, but this type of exhaustion is constant and pervasive. And this type of burnout fatigue saps us emotionally, mentally and physically. And with depersonalization, Put simply, this means having a feeling of indifference towards our work. So when we're experiencing burnout, we often feel numb and disconnected from our role, ourselves and the people around us. So when we're experiencing this, we may notice we isolate from others and we may not want to interact with our colleagues. Mm. And lastly is reduced accomplishment. So when we are burnt out, the parts of our job we once enjoyed or felt passionate about They feel like they're lost to us. We may become cynical of ourselves. We may feel like we're not good enough in our role. And we may become 
resentful or disillusioned with our role and our company. So Mm. if you are noticing that you're feeling constantly overwhelmed, numb, indifferent or lacking the zest and passion for your role that you once had, Mm. then there are signs that it's time to prioritise your well-being. And how do you do that? Like is it, it's not just a case of going, as you said earlier, if you're overworked and taking a rest over the weekend and you'll bounce back. So ways we can overcome burnout is by increasing our personal resources and decreasing our stressors. So how we can do this is we can decrease our stressors. So for example, in work, asking a colleague to help out with a project managing our time, maybe not taking more on than we can do. So a lot of the times when I talk to employees, they may have 10 projects on at once, Mm. but the reality is they can only do three. So just being really cognizant of what we take on. And if you, if you do have a lot of projects on maybe to stack rank them in level of importance and what needs to be done first and kind of looking at your calendar and managing it and the things we can control and increase our our personal resources which include going out and getting active you know during work Mm. taking a break getting outdoors and moving your body it can be so beneficial to our well-being and can improve our mood and decrease our stress nutrition you know a healthy diet has a fantastic effect on our mental health so being mindful of what you're eating and being sure to cook nutritious meals for yourself and lastly just having things that you enjoy outside of work. So it's really important if we can try and set aside 20 minutes a day to do something we enjoy. And the research on this is it has amazing effects for our well-being. So it could be phoning a friend, watching your favorite program or reading your favorite book, anything that's meaningful and life enhancing to you. If you can try and do that 20 minutes a day and if not just at different points throughout the week. But if you are really struggling with burnout and those small lifestyle changes don't help, then talking to a therapist can be helpful Mm. and a therapist can make you you a plan of action for improving your emotional, mental and physical well-being. Keelan, you mentioned there um, parental burnout. What is that? Um, And can you be burned out as a parent but still be a star performer in your job? So parental burnout is the chronic stress and a sense of tension and exhaustion that often overwhelms parents' ability to cope in their role as a parent. So Mm. this feeling of exhaustion oftentimes, like with workplace burnout, shows up with other signs. So typically parents who are burnt out experience a loss of enjoyment as far as the parenting role goes. And they may feel emotionally detached from their children. Mm. But how this burnout shows up depends on the degree of burnout that the parent is feeling. Um, The parent may also find that they're acting differently towards their children. Often they feel overwhelmed and may lose their patience with them and are more likely to snap or yell at them. Yeah. COVID-19 really shone the spotlight on parental burnout and really brought it to the fore. So Mm. the Ohio State University did a major study where they found that over 66% of working burnouts, uh, working parents that they surveyed met the criteria for burnout. So if you are struggling in your parental role and feel you may have burnout, please know that you're not alone. And I recommend going on Google and looking up the 10 item parental burnout scale. So Mm. go through the scale and assess where you are at and then 
make a plan of action, but recognizing parental burnout is the first step towards solving it. And the Ohio State University has lots of amazing guides for parents who are struggling. Mm. And if you feel you can't manage the effects of burnout alone, then talking to a therapist can help you overcome some of the challenges you're facing. But in response to your second question, can you be burnt out but be a star performer at work yes you can continue to be a star performer when you're struggling as a parent but only for so long so all parts of our lives are intertwined and affect one another so if you are struggling or burnt out in your parenting role that stress will inevitably spill over into your job performance and other areas of your life and Mm. vice versa Okay. And you mentioned as well there at the start a thing called seasonal burnout. What's that? Often summer's rise in temperature matches our increased need to find balance between our work and our personal and social demands. Mm. What triggers seasonal burnout, uh, be it at Christmas or in the summer, is again having to keep up with the excessive demands that are placed on us at work, along with the greater number of social and family events to attend. And some individuals may have other roles, such as caring for their children or family members, which the more roles and responsibilities we have, the more likely we are to feel overwhelmed. And during summer and Christmas, there are also financial stressors to add to the list, which can compound burnout. Um, A lot of times, People feel the pressure to go on holidays, take the family on holiday and afford to go to the weddings and mm. outings that they're invited to. So unfortunately, not not all of us can manage the multitasking of the extra fun without feeling overwhelmed by our demands at this time. So if we are feeling overwhelmed during the summer months um, because of all of the reasons that you said there, um, like is that likely to go away in September then when, you know, the social activities may, be, may not be as many? Unfortunately, no. Even though the lessening of social and financial burdens that often comes with September can help our burnout, it doesn't go away unless it's treat- treated. So the best form of intervention is prevention. So making sure you have downtime in the week where you have time to rest and recuperate, being mindful not to overschedule yourself. And again, just keeping an eye on your diet, eating nutritious meals and getting adequate sleep mm-hmm. will help you rec- recuperate from burnout. Um, so like really even, just being mindful, not taking on too much. Like if you're a busy parent, if you're trying to, to balance work and parenting and then you've got the added pressures of the extra socialising over the summertime and at Christmas time and the finances and all of that. Um, are you suffering then from two different types of burnout at the same time? Are you suffering from, from parental burnout and seasonal burnout together? Or is it just all lumped into the one? So yes, it's it complicates the situation and it can make us feel more overwhelmed. Mm. So again, the more responsibilities, roles and expectations we have put on us when we don't have the resources to cope, it can overwhelm us further. So in the case of the busy mom who has a lot on at work, who has increased social expectations and is minding their children while they're off from school, really just finding creative ways to practice self-care. So I know a lot of parents tell me that finding five minutes to themselves isn't a luxury they can afford. But again, just decreasing those personal stressors. Mm. An example of this could be if you find you're driving your children or teens to lots of summer activities like camps or to their friend's house, it 
might be helpful to ask a family member or your partner or a friend to do the drop-offs and pickups once a week so you have some downtime. And as well, you know, with parents, they don't have a lot of time to themselves. So practicing well-being activities with your children can be really helpful. Mm. So if you find that gratitude helps your well-being, you can reflect on three things you're grateful for with your children. Mm. There's so many amazing well-being family apps ranging from emotional fitness games to mindfulness that you can try out. And the great thing about these apps is it's self-care for the whole family. Yeah, because I was laughing there, um, do you know, there a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to have a bath because I was feeling a little overwhelmed, let's just say. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take some time out, have a nice relaxing bath. And all of a sudden there was a kid standing over me. What's that on your face, Mammy? Why have you got so much bubbles in the bath, Mammy? Can I get in with you? It's like, no, go away. So it is hard, like when you're in that whole cycle of trying to balance everything, to take some time out for yourself and to look after yourself but I suppose in order for all of that to work you need to be able to work so you need to to try and find the time to look after yourself definitely with parenting you need to put on your own life jacket first and when you take that time to practice self-care you'll have more to give to your kids and your kids will also role model off you you know I have parents telling me all the time you know when they sit and they practice mindfulness or gratitude or like you said the bath Um, when children see us taking time to mind our well-being they actually mirror that behavior so it's really beneficial for the parent and the child also and what about then, Keelan, for, um, you know, like if people are trying to focus on fixing the situation, but they do feel overwhelmed, is it at that point then that they really need to talk to somebody? Yes, definitely. Talking to a mental health professional can help in so many ways, because when we're in the problem, it's very hard to see outside of it. Um, and a, a therapist can be that objective eye you know, going into therapy, it can help you make goals, little self-care goals. A therapist can help you find ways to change and kind of manage the effects of the burnout, mm. emotionally, physically and me- mentally also. And, Kayleen, and just were... having talking does help. Mm. So just having that space to talk to someone and especially with parental burnout, a, a lot of parents feel like they can't talk to you know, the mom across the road or they, they just feel overwhelmed or they don't really want to tell their friends. So again, it's really helpful to have that mm. external person to speak to. You were talking there earlier about, um, you know, the extra pressure that it puts on people to try and um, go out uh, during particular seasons like summer and Christmas, um, you know, and it's just something else that we have to do. But there's also the fact that, like, you know, during the pandemic, I think we all got a little bit cosy in our bubble and we were sitting in for the last two years and we weren't going out. But now all of a sudden we are being invited to various different things, whether they're a work-related event or a social event or a family gathering. But a lot of people might not remember and I know it's kind of uh, strange, but, you know, what do we do when we're going out? Like, for example, even like what do we get dressed in? Because we lived in our in our tracksuit for so long. It's, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, that kind of puts more pressure on people as well, if, particularly if, if if they're in a kind of a pressurized situation. Oh, of course, completely. It's almost like you when you haven't 
when you haven't rode a bike for ages, getting back up on the bike again or going for a swim after not being in the water for a couple of years. You know, COVID-19 has significantly impacted the way we socialize. And many people are reporting that they're experiencing social anxiety for the first time, which is completely natural and normal because for so long we were told to stay away from others and being in our own homes, you know, in our tracksuits, mm. that became the new normal. And it it became our co- comfort zone, so to speak. So now with all the summer festivals back on, parties and events, it's like a period of newness. And with newness will always come some fear because we humans are creatures of comfort and we like what we know. So if you are feeling anxious and overwhelmed or a little lost, just know that that's completely natural and normal. And then the other side of this is, for those who have suffered from social anxiety pre-pandemic, because there were no opportunities for those with social anxiety to step into what they fear. In a lot of cases, their fear has grown. So lockdown effectively blocked many individuals from taking steps to curb their social anxiety. And then add to that the fear of COVID-19 in and of itself compounded this. So my advice to anyone who is feeling uncomfortable in social situations is to just start small. So Mm. plan something that's a little challenging, but achievable, such as going for coffee with a close friend. And then you can work your way up from there. Maybe next it could be going to the cinema with a group of friends or going to a party with friends. It's all about slowly confronting your sources of fear with a little more exposure each time. And then my other bit of advice is to practice self-compassion feeling anxious, feeling awkward, dealing with the difficult thoughts, feelings and emotions that come up around our new normal. You know, it's it's really tough and it's so easy to beat ourselves up. So if you find yourself worrying or overthinking in social situations, mm. you know, treat yourself with kindness and ask yourself, what would I say to a friend in this situation? And extend yourself the same passion, love and kindness you would someone you care about. But I found this too. I, I went to a stadium gig a few weeks ago and yeah. gigs were always my happy place. And I really felt very overwhelmed looking out at the sea of people. Yeah. When someone would kind of bump into me, I'd, I'd almost kind of whoop. <laughs> I jump back. Yeah. So it's we're we're all in this, you know. It's it, but just to be kind and compassionate. I did find myself saying, "Oh, come on, cop yeah. on," and things like that. But I just paused and I was like, "Now be so, nice to yourself. It is new." So, Keelan, how do we know then that it's a natural introvert tendency or actual pathological anxiety? Again. When it's kind of pervasive, if you feel like it's taking away from you, living the sort of life you want to have, when you feel like you can't function, then it would be a good idea to talk to a mental health professional. Hmm. Uh, If it's not really getting in the way of you living the sort of life you want to have and you feel like you can manage it, then again, the lifestyle changes and the compassion will really be helpful. But lifestyle changes and compassion are helpful for everybody. So just being aware, you know, if you do you find anxiety is getting in the way of you having the sort of life you want to have, then it's a good idea to talk to someone. Okay, Keenan. Finally, any situation where you're supposed to, I suppose, feel good can be a burnout trigger, can it, when you're feeling like that? Yes, it can. I have a favourite saying, 
that is by my favorite psychologist, Stephen Hayes. That's we hurt where we care and we care where we hurt. And that's really true. So think about anything you've done in your life that made you feel really proud, whether it's getting your degree to opening your own business to getting into a romantic relationship or becoming a parent. Everything in life that's worth having is going to cause us a certain amount of pain. So take, for example, relationships. Mm. Think of the most important relationship in your life right now. I have no doubt you had amazing times with that person and you really cherish and love them. But there's also been fights, disagreements or roadblocks that have caused you pain. And going back to the previous point on social anxiety, typically individuals with social anxiety, they highly value relationships. So their anxiety comes from a place of care for others. They care so much about forming meaningful relationships and bonds with those around them that they often find they worry about their effect on others. If they didn't care about how others felt, they wouldn't have those difficult thoughts. How are people experiencing me? Mm. You know, scanning around the room at a party to check if everyone is all right. We, we tend to, as humans, overthink, worry and stress about the things that are important to us. And of course, Stephen Hayes wrote A Liberated Mind and we must talk about that some morning on the opinion line. Keenan. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite book. <laughs> excellent, excellent. We look forward to that. Keelan O'Dwyer, thank you for taking the time to speak to us about burnout on the show this morning. Keelan O'Dwyer, a behavioural psychologist from Ireland's trusted online therapy, fettle.ie. In the last hour, I was speaking to Eileen Keenan Haley about preparing your children for the transition from primary school to secondary school and Bear has been in touch to say I found Eileen's conversation very interesting and down to earth said it as it is thank you for that Bear. it was um, and I hope that a lot of parents get um, some uh, a good bit of information from that conversation that I had with Eileen earlier we've also had a request in from Gillian Dennehy Birmingham to say can you give a shout out to Denny, Philly and Mervyn working hard in the kitchen good morning guys and uh, keep up the good work and we have some more on the Cork Airport and we have a statement from Cork Airport as well and I will bring you that um, shortly. But uh, first I want to talk about manifestation and in particular the 369 method now many celebrities have been speaking about the power of manifestation which for people who don't know it's thinking your dreams into a reality Um, but there's a new trend now that's taken social media by storm and it's the 369 manifestation joining me now is Trine Jensen Burke who is a lifestyle journalist at herfamily.ie good morning Trine Hi, how are you? Um, it's Trina, actually. It's like Trina, oh, sorry. Trina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't worry. Everybody gets it wrong. Um, yes, absolutely. We'd kind of noticed that um, manifestation is a big bust kind of topic at the moment. And every it's everywhere on social media. If you open Instagram, if you open TikTok, um, everyone is kind of talking about it and swearing that this is helping them achieve their dreams, whether it's, um, you know, a home of their own or, you know, the trip of a lifetime mm. or a new job. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people would be familiar with the book, The Secret. Um, and, Absolutely. you know, like that's, I think, where the whole manifestation came from, really, wasn't it? It, it is kind of, you know, in, in, in newer time anyway. And this is almost, I think what we're seeing now on social media is kind of because The Secret, I think, was out in 2006. So what it nearly is now is the kind of younger generation rediscovering the whole concept of 
manifestation and you know using the loss of attraction really which is what the secret was about and using mm. that to kind of attract to you good things whatever they may be so it's thinking about something that you want say if you want your your new house or your new car or your new job or whatever and you think about it and you think about it to the point where it comes true but the 369 method um like it is man- about manifesting and manifestation but where is this the, the number 369 coming from it's not just a random sequence of numbers it's just not a random secret of numbers. I think if in terms of the 369 method, um, it really was, it's based on a theory that was developed by Nikola Tesla, which was an inventor. And this is years and years ago. And he kind of had this idea that these three numbers um, were some sort of the trifecta of en- like energy, frequency and vibration. And they were really important to like they held the secret of the universe. And mm. funny enough, like if you do dig around a little bit, you'll find references to these three numbers and their their kind of special meaning or power, you know, throughout a lot of religions and and kind of cultures across the world. And I think what they've done kind of with this manifestation method, it really is more like a lot of the same that we've heard how manifestation work from the secret and everything. It's about thinking about things and envisioning things really what you want. As I said, whether it is like a new career or your dream home or whatever. But what's unique about this method is that it puts more of a system to it. So the idea is that three times a day you sit down and you write down um your dream so and in the so in the morning time you'll write out three times say i'm i want to change career i want to go for promotion in my work so you Mm. write that three times and then in the afternoon or midday you write it down six times and then in the evening you write it nine times and then um the idea is also that you kind of really envision so say if your dream is um, to kind of level up your career or go for that promotion or go for a new job that you sit down and think about it and envision your life as if it had already happened mm. so that you know you're thinking like oh my office would look like this and I would have these colleagues and do you know what I mean this and this would happen these three times a day so it's really kind of just putting it into a system and you um, keep and writing the same thing th- three times a day until it happens yeah. until it happens yes that's the idea and does it work? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? If you dig around a little bit on TikTok, there's a lot of people saying it absolutely works. Mm. Now, it's a bit like, I think, you know, along the lines of everything else, um, that my kind of take on it is that if thinking about what you want and putting a positive spin, because that's the whole idea with manifesting, you're not meant to think about what you don't want. You're meant to really focus on the positive and the things you do want and so that you're attracting what you do want um, into your life instead of kind of being negative going, I wish this wasn't happening. I wish I wasn't in this sucky job or I wish I wasn't in this house chair with a bunch of people, but rather putting the positive spin on it. Um, So what a lot of people are saying, which I kind of can, you know, relate to as well is that the more you think about something and if you have a positive mindset chances are you are going to take action to kind of make that happen so if Mm. your goal is you know a career promotion and if you really focus on it and think about it several times a day chances are you are going to make some choices that makes that more likely so that you might you know work on worked on your LinkedIn or you might reach out to people in that industry or people that can help you or you might sign up for a course um, to level up your skills because it's constantly at the forefront of your mind. 
Yeah, I suppose it makes sense because, you know, if you're in a job that you don't like and you just keep saying to yourself, God, I hate my job. And every morning you wake up and you say, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to go into this place now. I hate my job. Like you are actually going to like that kind of negativity is a burden after a while um, and it saps your energy. Um, you know, so if you wanted to make changes, you just don't have the energy to do it because you're so down in yourself. Whereas if you're going to Absolutely. be giving yourself these positive affirmations all the time, then, you know, it'll give you the, the drive, I suppose to get up and do it. I think so. I think, and, and I think that's why, you know, why people are drawn to the idea of manifestation in general, because I think it it sort of takes people away from that negative cycle of going like, oh, you know, I hate my job. I hate my housemates. I, I'll never get to travel and see the world. I have no money. And instead of being stuck in that, because that's a very kind of, obviously, a vicious cycle. And mm. then I think it makes it harder to get out and do something. But if you focus on what you want instead of what you don't want, chances are you will actually make steps. You know, even if, um, you know, your dream is to, you know, go traveling around Europe for six months. Like if you constantly think about it and envision yourself doing it, chances are you will, you know, make choices. You will, do you know what I mean? Avoid going out and spending money and you'll save money and you'll, do you know what I mean? I think yeah. the positive kind of um, attitude about it is really what, you know, maybe that that's the whole secret. And Trina, what's the difference so between um, the 369 manifestation method and just, you know, like say, wh- why do we have to write it out like three times, six times and nine times a day rather than just writing it out maybe once in the morning and once in the evening time? I think the whole idea um, with the 369 method is that one, it's like it eludes these numbers and these numbers holding some kind of um, power and that it's more likely if you do it. So um, people who kind of speak about it and believe in it say that it has a really powerful, like because it makes you, when you get up in the morning, you write it three times then six times during the day or, you know, at some mm. point and then nine times before you go to bed so that it's always at the forefront of your mind and you don't forget about it um and again these numbers are said to kind of represent a sort of a connection to the universe and Mm. and um have this power so that that really is what it is you know what i mean it's a kind of belief that these numbers hold some kind of special relation but also i think it is the fact that you're not doing it once in the morning and then you kind of forget about it all day you have to keep coming back to what it is that you envision and that that makes it more likely that you will you know, take action to kind of align with what it is that you want. So I suppose it becomes a kind of an easy to remember routine. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose as well, that's that's what what most things... Yeah, sorry, (laughs) sorry, sorry, yeah. yeah. No, you go on ahead. With most things when it comes to um, routines, like the more you kind of make it into a routine, the easier it will be and you'll get into the rhythm of doing it. Um, And that the idea is that you keep doing it, whether it's for, you know, a week or a month or two months until what it is that you're manifesting comes true. And I suppose people believe that they have a cultural um, and a spiritual meaning, so they will kind of keep doing it then. Is that, the, the you know, as you were saying there with the, the 369 and the connection to the universe? I think so, yes. That's what, do you know what I mean? When when you see anything written about it, that's the idea is that these numbers have some kind of special meaning and hold some kind of power. In, you know, and to be honest, I think it really is about like, making it into a routine and the more the more you focus on it, the more likely it is that it will happen. And it has, it is a bit like, I know, and we can all relate to that, is that the things we focus on, that's where our energy goes and that's, you know, the kind of actions we take. So if this is something, if you really want to take that trip of a lifetime and you think about it several times a day chances are you will make moves towards that happening so I think really the 369 do you know what I mean it's just like 
you're doing it so many times a day and it becomes a habit. So it's always at the forefront of your mind. And I mean, you know, we said at the start that 369 manifestation method is taking social media by storm, but it really is because I was reading in your article here that over 218 million views videos uh, yeah. with the hashtag uh, 369 method is um, it, like, that's that's an incredible number, isn't it? 218 million? It's crazy, isn't it? Mm. And it really is. And I think it is. It's being pushed. You know what I mean? There's a lot of celebrities at the moment talking about it. And I mean, this is not new either. We're going back, like, I mean, Oprah Winfrey, I remember when she had her talk show years and years ago talked about the power of kind of your mind and how powerful your thoughts are and how you really can attract what you want by by thinking about it. So I think, again, there is an aspect of like this is kind of almost being rediscovered again by mm. the sort of TikTok generation. And have you spoken to people who've actually done it and it has worked for them? Yeah, absolutely. We've kind of, because um, we've done a few um, articles on this and, write, and I've done a bit of writing on this and absolutely. And from smaller things to sort of bigger things, even people kind of envisioning, do you know what I mean, meeting the, the, the spouse of their dreams or whatever. And again, mm-hmm. I think it just, it comes down to when you're really focusing on something, instead of being bogged down by the kind of negative going, oh, I'll never meet someone and everyone else is married and where will I meet someone? If you kind of really spin things around and focus on um the seeing the positive and working towards that because I think it becomes more attainable than lingering in sort of misery or envy or jealousy um, and sulking about what you don't have, but rather focusing on where you want to move towards and what you want your life to be. Mm, I mean, it's a, it's a great concept and I'm definitely more on the side of thinking positively about things than negatively because, um, you know, as we were saying earlier, you do tend to get more results. Now, I'm not sure if it would, uh, by thinking about it, you're going to get your house, your dream house or your dream partner. Mm-hmm. But, uh, do you know, it's like, it'll definitely help. You know, we'll get up and get out there and try. <laughs> I think so. And I think as well, like we can all relate to having these people in our lives, you know what I mean? And it seems like good things tend to happen to people who have a really positive attitude and people mm. who kind of, do you know what I mean, deal with things as they come along. And then people who do tend to kind of get really bogged down and be very negative about things, they kind of almost see things that, oh, this is always keeps happening to me. Why mm. this, do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's definitely something there. And I think maybe that's the main takeaway from it is that having a positive attitude and, do you know what I mean, making steps, working towards what you what you want instead of focusing what you don't want or what you don't have, do you know what I mean? That's only going to lead to positive things. Brilliant. Trina, it's a great concept and thank you so much for explaining it all to us. It's the 369 Manifestation Method. If anybody wants to follow it on social media and see what is coming true for people by thinking about it, that's Trina Jensen-Burke. She's a lifestyle journalist at herfamily.ie and her.ie. Thank you, Trina, for bringing us up to speed on that this morning. And the Corks 96 FM's Pride Vibes is live. It's our new online radio station playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. Join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. Stream it on the Cork's 96 FM website or app and get more at pridevibes.ie. Pride Vibes supported by Voltrol, the joy of movement. Listen live now with Cork's 96 FM. Now we're celebrating Cork Pride Festival this week and as part of the celebrations, the Crawford Art Gallery is inviting people to a special LGBTQ plus tour of its exhibitions. And joining me now to talk about it is Dr. Michael Waldron who's curator of collections and special projects at the Crawford Art Gallery and he's also a member of the board of Semple Studios. Good morning Dr Michael. Good morning how are you doing? I'm very well I'm very well. This exhibition at the Crawford Art Gallery what can people expect when they go? 
Well, I suppose um, the the LGBTQ plus tour that we're offering uh, uh, brings visitors across all of our exhibitions. Um, And so it's not just one exhibition. Um, And it's a way, I suppose, of us paralleling or um, having a a programme running alongside the other exhibitions and to look at things in a different way. Um, And so uh, visitors will be invited to uh, come on this free tour at 6.30pm this Thursday, tomorrow, um, and to, I suppose, learn about LGBTQ plus stories and histories um, through a selection of artworks. And where did you get the idea for this? I suppose the idea is it's all rooted in, I suppose, creating a new uh, way into the gallery for people. Mm. You know, art isn't necessarily always on people's agenda. And yet um, it touches on many subjects that um, are interesting to, to to visitors and to the public. And I suppose my, my thinking is that we have to reflect our society. Um, and the art gallery has, has a role to play in that. Um, mm. And so the idea is really to open up a trail, essentially, or a tour through the gallery so that you can have an alternative experience and, and I suppose, encounter stories that aren't always told. Yeah, like I was looking there um, and, you know, some of the stories, um, they're stories of Dr. James Barry, Kate O'Brien and Fiona Shaw, names that people may be familiar with here in Cork. This is this is it. Um, so I suppose it's a mixture of familiar faces and then maybe uh, unfamiliar stories. So if we take any of those names, I suppose Fiona Shaw is maybe the most famous of, mm. of, of all these days. Yeah. Uh, we have a wonderful portrait of her on our staircase by Victoria Russell. Um, but Fiona, of course, um, a few years ago married her wife, Sonali, and, um, and has played um, kind of uh, queer characters in, in her roles. So that's kind of a, a reason to include her on the tour as a as a daughter of Cork, mm. um, but also as someone who's participating in in the culture and in kind of telling stories. Um, and it's the same with Dr. James Barry. Yeah. Um, people might know of the famous artist James Barry, who came from Cork in the 18th century. Um, but the child of um, of uh, the artist's sister um, went to art school and took um, their uncle's name, um, but had been born a female, uh, but presented male for all their adult life. Um, and, and that's, so I suppose, an early, um, perhaps transgender story that we mm. might uh, consider um, in the history of Cork and of the world. And what about Kate O'Brien? What's the story there? Well, Kate O'Brien was a lesbian uh, writer from Limerick and we have a wonderful portrait of her by Regina Carballo, uh, which is uh, displayed on our landing. And Kate O'Brien, I suppose, in her writing, wrote about, um, I suppose, how people navigated between their faith um, and and also their, their own identities. Mm. Uh, it's something that she navigated in her life uh, and she, 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 I suppose, expressed in her writing. Uh, two of her novels were banned in Ireland in the 1930s and 40s, uh, and in particular one uh, for the um, almost inconspicuous line, she saw her father and Etienne in the embrace of love. Oh, God. So there is... Um, <laughs> It, it shocked people <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, 
It's like there's really, really interesting stories. And as you say, the tour takes place at 6.30pm tomorrow, the 28th of July. And it is a project that's um, supported by uh, or it's funded by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Grail Talk, Sport and Media. And it's in support of the nighttime economy here in Cork. And uh, Michael, just, you know, you're curator of collections and special projects at the Crawford Art Gallery. Where did your interest in art come from? I suppose my interest came from a a little bit of a talent in art when I was Mm. a child and kind of an interest in the history of art. Um, But also I I love listening to stories, telling stories. And I think that's a wonderful way to learn. Um, We learn through anecdotes. We learn through how something is formed as a story. Mm. Um, So that's where my interest comes from. And um, the tour guide tomorrow evening, uh, Chloe Griffin, um, is a wonderful storyteller as well. So um, visitors will, will, I think, really enjoy this free tour. Um, You just meet in our sculpture galleries on the ground floor and um, and explore um, these national treasures essentially. And so no booking is required then? No booking at all. Free uh, to attend. uh, Just show up. Brilliant. Well, best of luck with it. Um, And thank you for joining me on the Opinion Line this morning. That's Dr. Michael Waldron, who's Curator of Collections and Special Projects at the Crawford Art Gallery. Now, we were talking earlier about um, Dublin Airport and about the need to increase uh, flights from Cork Airport. And Tom has been in touch to say more flights from Cork to UK and Europe, but fares need to be the same as Dublin. Runway length in Cork is a problem for transatlantic flights. Shannon has a 10,500 foot runway. Cork is 7,000 foot and it has US pre-clearance which is a great advantage. Now in response to all of this Cork Airport has been in touch. Now we weren't criticising Cork Airport in any way in fact we were uh, complimenting them um, but they have issued us with a statement to say as Ireland's second busiest airport and the best connected airport in Munster serving passengers from across the south of Ireland Cork Airport is on a very strong growth trajectory post-pandemic more recently the 2022 passenger traffic projection for Cork Airport was revised upwards from from 1.8 million to 2.1 million. This adjustment was on the back of very strong demand for services to and from Cork Airport, along with recent new route announcement by uh, Ryanair. This year, our loyal and valued passengers can choose from 42 routes across the UK and the continent. For context, the largest number of destinations ever available from Cork Airport was 52 in 2019, and this marked recovery, considering the detrimental effects the pandemic had on the aviation industry globally, is a further endorsement of the work being undertaken by Cork Airport and while intensive work is being undertaken by Cork Airport in securing additional connectivity it must be noted that the introduction of new routes is ultimately a decision for airlines. Airlines make these decisions on a purely commercial basis factoring in route viability, passenger demand and yield. Thank you very much for that statement and that came in today from Cork Airport. I was reading an article in the Echo yesterday and um, it was focusing on the Derry Duff Farm in in Cork, and um, it was taken over by Dr. Steve and Claire Collins, who originally came over here from the UK, and um, they have developed um, the like they were. I, I suppose like a lot of people uh, are able to to grow blueberries in Cork, but what they're focusing on at the minute is a different type of berry called an Aronia berry. And here to talk to me about it is Dr. Steve Collins. Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm very well. Aronia berries, first of all, what are they? So they're a member of the rose family. They're a a traditional North American Indian 
berry. They used to use them as a medicinal food historically in North America. Mm. And then um, th- why they are, because they're, they're a very blackberry and they have the highest concentration of, of chemicals called polyphenols, right. which are essentially the plant's immune system. And these have been shown. In fact, if you talk of any superfood, you think of superfoods, blueberries, black currants, blackberries, red grapes. They're all super because they have high levels of these compounds called polyphenols. Mm. And aronia have the highest level of polyphenols of any of fruit or veg. And so why are they so easy to, to grow here then? Why are they easy to grow in West Cork as opposed to the blueberry? Yeah, so they've got deep roots. So the blueberries have got a shallow root system, so you have to mulch and do weed control. Mm. Whereas the aronia have got very deep roots, so they go right down into the um, the lower soil. So they're not worried about weed competition, so that makes it much easier to grow them organically. Mm. Um, and then because they've got deep roots, they, they're good with moisture. They can, they can um, survive either wet soil or they can survive periods of drying. So they're very easy on the moisture. And then in terms of the acidity or alkalinity of the soil, they're, they're, really, they're really flexible. They can take an acid soil, can take an alkaline soil. And then, then they're good in the wind. We've got them at 200 metres in full view of the um, Bantry Bay. So we get these storms coming up Bantry Bay. Yeah. And they're, um, they're fruiting well high up. And then lastly, they take very little um, fertilisation. They're very thrifty. And so they're growing on really well, – it's a, it's a clay, gravelly soil. So they're growing on the worst possible soil. And then they produce this incredibly healthy berry. So I think they're a win-win for this area. So, Steve, a lot of Ireland's um, land is unproductive. Uh, do you think so that a lot of people should be looking at growing something like this in, in that kind of a terrain that we have? I think the times are changing. You know, mm. climate change we know is changing agriculture. We're having bad years with silage. Um, and And... The having your, your agriculture dependent in this area just on sheep and a few cattle in the lowlands, mm. um, it makes you vulnerable. You know, farmers here, a few years ago when the, um, we had the fodder crisis, they were instead of paying 20 euro a bale of silage, they were paying 50 or 60. Yeah. And that can put people out of business very quickly. And it, it's the same in the developing world. You know, if you want people to be more resilient, they have to diversify their agriculture and they need to diversify agriculture into plants that are suitable for the area and also have a high economic value. So I think it it certainly has potential. So you think then in our talk of climate change and trying to overcome uh, a lot of the obstacles that we have at the minute that we should be looking at maybe farming of a different kind than what we focus on here? I think we have to. We have no choice. And the grants are pushing people in that way. The, The grants are going down on conventional farming of sheep Mm. And cattle, and they're increasing on more extensive, more biodiverse farming, such as berries or extensive um, grazing. And so they're pushing us this way. And without the grants, many of the farms in West Cork around where we are are not viable. And so they, they need to be looking, in my opinion, um, people need to be to, to prepare for the future. It's safer to look for alternatives. And Steve, it's fair to say you have some knowledge on this because you have a PhD in nutrition and an MBE for your humanitarian work in Africa. You worked over there um, and you've seen the results of climate change. Yeah, no, I spent 35 years. I started doing famine and war relief Hmm. in the Bandai famine in 85. 
And so over that 35 years, I've seen a lot of change and, and a lot of the problems that you're trying to deal with now in development and, and nutrition are a direct cause of climate change. You know, resources, are, uh, rain, when people talk about droughts and famine in Africa, hmm. it, they don't actually normally mean droughts. They mean a change in the rainfall pattern. Yeah. Which is we're seeing here, you know, we're seeing heavier downpours. And what happens in in Africa if you if you're say monocropping maize, such as a country like Malawi, and the rain doesn't come when it's meant to come, that means that you lose your crop. So you might have as much rain as normal, but if it comes at the wrong time, you lose your crop. And it's the same here, you know, we're getting these dry patches now, you know, and the farmers are relieved now because we had some rain this last week. But Mm. before then, it was getting quite dry and the grass was stopping growing, whereas the aronia berries with the deep roots were growing away fine. And so, yeah, it's a reality and and it's only going to get worse. And and as we've seen, you know, the Ukraine war, essentially, it's no coincidence. Ukraine is the fifth biggest grain or wheat exporter in the world you know these these conflicts and the stress that climate change is causing is getting worse and starting to impact on us directly and so it's better to be prepared it seems to me steve um it's a long way from uh, africa and from sudan to west cork what brought you over here <laughs> <laughs> i i well the roots my, my grandfather came from cork so we, we just nipped out for a generation and i'm back now yeah. Um, but but for me, I, I, my specialty was treating both adults, but particularly children, on the point of death from starvation. Mm. And it's very difficult when you're when you're mixing in in a famine and you're talking to parents who've just lost all their children, and then you come back and if you're living in a town and and your neighbours complaining their new car's got a scratch, yeah. you know, now that's a totally legitimate complaint. You know, if I had a new car and it got a scratch, I would be complaining. Mm. But it's impossible to mix those two realities. So when you, you're in a famine, oh, I, I'm sad because my children have all died. And you're back next day, oh, I'm sad because my car's got a scratch. You can't mix those two different realities. And so I wanted to find somewhere that was really remote. So I didn't, I could put my head in the sand, really, and I didn't have to confront that. And and so I, I, I moved, you know, to a very remote mountain in Derry Duff um, in West Cork. But it's a beautiful place. I and, mean, I, I can't and, believe my luck to live here. And it is on a mountain. And, you know, you, you, know, you were talking there about unproductive land. Um, like, what were the challenges that you had at the start trying to set the farm up, trying to set up Dairy Duff Farm? Oh, well, so just, um, sorry, I think there was a slight mistake in the article. It was actually Quibine Farm. It's Dairy Duff is the town land, but there's oh, another right. farm called Dairy Duff Farm. So it was, a, it was a mistake in the article, but an understandable. So what's the name um, of your farm? So the challenge... It's Quibine, C-U-I-B-I-N, Quibine, yeah. Okay, okay, right. <laughs> uh, it means sheltered, means sheltered hollow, or so I'm told, and it's very, it's a sheltered little dell in up in the high in the mountains. Ah. So, I mean, you asked about the challenges. So, well, finding what would grow well here was the first challenge. You know, trying, I, I tried lots of different things, and and gradually sort of honing down on the blueberries and then the aronia berries, but then practically getting access so. You know, it, it takes, you have to, if you want to do this kind of agriculture at any sort of scale, you do need machines, so you need to get access. Mm. Um, but then with the aronia, it was just clearing the rocks from the land. You know, it's up on the high mountain land. And so clearing rocks, we've spent months clearing rocks um, just to, to provide any soil at all. Uh, and then for the blueberries, there was a lot more challenges. We, we had to put in a, an irrigation system. I think 
I think many of my, my neighbours thought I was crazy in West Cork putting in um, a, a reservoir and irrigation. But yeah. if you want to maximise the yields, so we made, we made a big reservoir high up the mountain and then put in water pipes and drip irrigation and raised beds. So the, the blueberries have a lot of challenges, whereas the aronia were, were relatively easy. And, the, and they're going well now? They're growing, going well now. We're going to be harvesting mid-August. It's the first sort of commercial size harvest and then we're making a juice and we've we've developed a brand called Phytoberry mm. <clears throat> which is um a health brand um with aronia juice so it's it's a very high polyphenol uh, juice that we're we're pressing the berries in um the apple farm in Tipperary contrast is uh, pressed there and we're selling the juice and then we'll also be launching powders because the great thing about the uh, aronia berry you can make juice out of the um you squash them and make juice and that has very high polyphenol content but then the the cake that's left after you make the juice with the the seeds and the skin that's also very very high in polyphenol so we're we're looking at making powders for that and we'll be launching a trial of powders next month under the phytoberry brand because that's an easy way you can have it either as tablets or a powder and so it's a very easy way for people to get their polyphenol intake and Steve, if I wanted to finally, um, if I wanted to get the benefits of this polyphenol and um, I wanted to grow some aronia berries in my garden, would it be possible? What kind of advice would you have? Yeah, they're, so they're really easy. The, the only thing, make sure they've got some sun. Uh, don't put them in shade and then they'll fruit well. But they're very, and I've, I've been supplying plants to a lot of different farmers around here to try out and people are having a good experience with them. It'll take you... For if if you get a, a potted plant that's about three years old, you'll you'll start you'll get berries the next year, and they produce up to a few kilo each plant, and then you can get a little hand press and press them, and then you you drink away your polyphenols and you um you improve your metabolic health knowing. Brilliant. Okay, I must try that. So, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Steve, right, yeah. Steve Collins, thank you for joining me on the opinion line on Cork's ninety six FM this morning and filling me in on all things are only berries. Now, the other day I was speaking to Inga and she had taken her children to her local park and when they were there, a group of uh, young children, um, well, there were maybe about 11 or 12-year-olds and they gathered around her children and they ended up, like, the intimidation got so bad that they ended up leaving and she was very upset and we got a message from somebody else who wants to stay anonymous and they said that they were, um, that herself and her boyfriend brought the niece, nephew and cousin out for a lovely day and they decided to stop off in a fast food restaurant on the way home. We went in and sat down to be abused by a gang of kids that were no more than 13 years old. One fella threatened to hop a hurley off my boyfriend's head. The names he was calling us both were absolutely disgusting. My niece got extremely upset. The child was shaking. She was bawling, crying, afraid of her life. She's now saying she won't go back there ever again. My cousin has special needs and this upset his whole day. He can't communicate and all he done yesterday was cry. I did call the manager but to be honest he was a young fella. He said um, I have to call the guards on these kids a lot but he was laughing while we had two very upset kids if they had to call the guards why were these kids left back into the restaurant I hope these kids are so proud of the way they're carrying on I just wanted others opinions on this um, it sounds horrific and thank you very much for getting in touch with us and if anybody else um 
would have any kind of, uh, I suppose, advice on um, what this person can do. I don't think there's much that she can do now at this stage. But, um, you know, we were asking the question the other day, do you feel safe going to your local park? I suppose the question now is, you know, why are young people in public places and and making people feel threatened and intimidated it doesn't seem fair and especially when families are out trying to enjoy themselves um, if you want to let us know your thoughts on this it's 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 is the text or WhatsApp and you can always email us once the show is over to opinion at 96fm.ie now so for some good news this year is the 10th annual Cork Colke Family Festival and it begins on August 13th and joining me now to talk about it is Breda Scanlon. Good morning Breda. So Breda just um, you were saying that you're delighted it's the 10th anniversary and you're back after a couple of years of not being able to have the festival at all. Yes that's and it was very disappointing but look we're looking forward to this now so it's a, a free event day for the family hmm. So we have face painting, magic shows, puppet shows, balloon modeler, arts and crafts, and sand art. And then we have candy apples, the traditional food of Cork, uh, the cool beans, Chester cake, sweets and treats, and ice cream for the kids, mm. and shawley medals. And just talk to me a little bit about the, the traditional food that you have there, like crew beans and, um, and iced apples. Um, why are they so traditional here in Cork? Is it just because back in the day they would have sold them at the Colke? Oh, they would, yes. And I remember Cathy Barry in Dalton's Avenue, she used to sell the candy apples. They were toffee apples then, mm. you know. And um, she had a small little shop in there. Yeah. And someday, hopefully, it was supposed to be this year, we were going to erect a, a statue in honour of her. Yeah. But over the two-year delay, that were behind, so we'll work on that as well. But the crew beans, then they used to sell bodies and tails, and there used to be everything on the call, because it was brilliant there. And do the kids nowadays like those things? <laughs> the candy apples only. <laughs> and Brida, um, you're asking people to come along dressed up if they want. If they want, yes. It'd be mm. great because there's a great atmosphere. Yeah. You know, so. What kind of, it, like, what kind of uh, costumes do you want them to come dressed up in? Anything they want to, you know, like in the old days. Now, but what we wear is the shawls. Yeah. Our shawls are about... They range from about 100 years now to 125 years. Yeah. So we have, some of us have the the planer shawl that they used to wear every day. I have one of the ones that was called a double-decker. Right. There's, there's a lovely fringe on that. It's like crochet. Mm. And that was their Sunday best then or going to weddings. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And, Breda, the, there's going to be live music as well. Is that happening, oh, across, is. Is that happening across the day? It is, it is. It's starting out at uh, 12 o'clock. We meet up on the North Main Street first and we, we walk down singing our song up the Colke. Mm. And um, the the bells of Shandon then will go off at 12 o'clock and uh, they sing the banks of my own lovely Lee. Mm. Then our parish priest will say a few prayers and we release the white doves in honour of the deceased traders. 
Right. And residents of the area. So it's a lovely day. And mm. then all our entertainers, they give their time voluntary mm. for the whole day. So it's great. And do you notice a lot of more, a lot more families coming to the, I know you haven't had it now for the last couple of years, but, um, you know, was there the interest in it growing? Because I suppose the Cold Cay is such a huge part of Cork City. Yes, yes. And once they come, they stay for the whole day. Hmm. You know, and you'd see the older people there as well, and they'd be licking the, the candy apples, <laughs> reminiscing <laughs> of days gone by. But it, it's just lovely. Yeah. You know? Brilliant. Okay, Brida, it's a great, um, it's a great uh, um, festival and it's great for the family. It's great for the children. As you said, there will be uh, iced apples there for the kids to enjoy. There'll be lots of music, lots of song, lots of story, lots yeah. happening um, at the festival. And it's the 13th of August and it's happening all That's day. Right. 12 until half five. Okay, brilliant. Thank you for that, Brida. And so if anybody else wants to, or if anybody wants to head along to the Cold Cave Family Festival, it is on August 13th. And thanks, Brida, for that. Um, I was speaking earlier there to um, Dr. Steve Collins, um, who has the farm in West Cork, and he was talking to me about um, aronia berries and blueberries. And Christine has been in touch asking to spell the name of those berries. And aronia... or they're aronia berries Christine and how you spell it is A-R-O-N-I-A so hopefully that helps he was talking about the, the benefits that it has that they have they're full of polyphenols so um, yeah you were looking for the spelling A-R-O-N-I-A um, and thank you for that and I think that could be my lot for today. Thanks of course to the team here who keep the show on the road. Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton. Thank you to everybody who contributed to today's show. I'll be back again tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day.